uh, what Marathon did, they started uh, removing from blocks the 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 trans. So they stopped mining the blocks that would include any transaction to or from those addresses. So that, that it was the first experiment ever um, on that scale about OFAC. It was a, about a year ago, if I remember correctly. And that, it was very, very interesting what happened because immediately when that started, like the the amount of uh, hate they got from like plebs on on Twitter, it was insane. Uh, also, in parallel, some of the OFAC addresses they sent them like to they tainted addresses of Mara because they started sending like dust from those addresses uh, to their Coinbase, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et so that was very, very interesting. And I think like they, they never said it like publicly, but from what I understood, like they were just so scared of like the negative public perception, they just basically they stopped doing it in a week. So that was that was beautiful experiment because like Marathon is like a publicly traded miner, so like extreme bureaucracy, extreme regulations. So they wanted to be as you know as compliant as they could be. Like the U.S. government, they didn't ask them like. In order to be compliant, you have to start blocking the OFAC from the blocks. They just start to do it j- just in case, you know. They wanted to be so clean that the, the, they're even ahead of the regular regulations. And the, the market, like, just, just in, that's insane how, like, pleb, plebs on, on Twitter, you know, sending them, like, this is this is wrong, how that turned. Uh, and, like, they decided in a week to stop doing that. So that was beautiful and already shown, like, uh, it doesn't work. Welcome to our guest. We have uh, Kristen. Yeah, Kristen from Brains is here. That's awesome. Good to see you. And uh, I believe our, our other guest hasn't arrived yet, right? Uh, no, not yet. Adam from uh, Upstream Data is coming for sure. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome. So um, can you give us a, a quick introduction to Brains and what you guys do before we kind of get into it? Like My, my goal with this conversation is to sort of address some of the the mining concerns and drama and like actually get some facts into at least my brain, you know, about what the mining industry is today. It's obviously grown a lot. So I think, you know, it begs uh, a kind of refresh and, uh, but yeah, just give us a quick uh, update on what you're Sure. By the way, when you mentioned mining grew, uh, I always tell people because really people outside our industry or even in Bitcoin, like not knowing really much about like the scale of mining, uh, so just to give you some example, uh, so when we were talking about uh, 2012, when the first Stratum came out, um, so we were talking about the whole, the whole, to- the total net, uh, network hash rate was about two S9s. So S9 is a, I don't know, seven-year-old bit made machine. So the total hash rate was like two S9s. Uh, currently, when we recalculate the 450x hashes to um, to as nice we would be talking about like I don't know like 35 million uh, units for a while so it's like a crazy big industry we're talking about super professionals uh, you know players and uh, uh, mining facilities all around the world so it's a it's insanely big market already 
uh, why why am I here and why I'm talking about mining? Well, we're the oldest mining pool, uh, so we're operating the it used to be called Slash Pool. Now we renamed to Brains Pool because we're unifying everything under Brains. Um, so we mined over 1.3 million uh, Bitcoin since 2010. Well, it's not technically us; it's our miners, like our clients um, in our pool. Um, also, we are uh, authors or co-authors with Matt Corello. Uh, of Stratum B2, like the new mining protocol. Uh, we have the uh, aftermarket firmware, which is like a very fancy name for, um, let's say, operating system that runs the machines, runs the mining machines. Uh, and we do some optimizations there. And, uh, you know, well, you can imagine like all other possible, you know, tools for miners ranging from, I don't know, man management software to uh, proxy applications that, you know, reduce the bandwidth. In any case, we're, we're just thinking every single day, 24-7, about mining, about Bitcoin mining, um, and all the possible tools, uh, mostly in software, uh, we produce that. And we are starting to uh, think about hardware as well. Uh, so if you have any questions, I'm very happy to be here um, and that's answer. A, but only in Bitcoin mining. That's all we think about 24-7. That's amazing, because that's that's what we're talking about today. And, uh, man, that's, that's amazing that you, you guys... I didn't realize brains was uh, slush, or you know, that's that's a huge deal. Because I remember, I remember slush had a huge impact in the in the Bitcoin Cash fork, and yeah, you guys uh, are, are pretty much as OGS it gets. However, I mean, before we get into all the details, I just want to remind people that are listening. First of all, please pump the show because uh, we're gonna get into a lot of the questions that I think, at least to me, were unanswered uh, in the drama of the ocean mining pool announcement from a week or so ago. I mean, it feels like ancient history at this point because everything's moving so fast and Bitcoin's staring at a, a, a hole in space-time right now. But, um, you know, the price anyway. But, um, yeah, before we get into all of that, I just want to remind everybody, especially our, our, friend, our, our fellow Canadians, that um, if you, you know, if you care about Bitcoin mining, you might as well stack some Bitcoin, you know? And, and there's very few good ways to stack Bitcoin nowadays. Um, Beaver Bitcoin in Canada is one of them. Uh, Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. You can buy Bitcoin instantly and set up reoccurring buy directly from your bank account. So straight up dollar cost average into Bitcoin. They send out to uh, your wallet so it's non-custodial and delivers your Bitcoin straight through cold storage. It's built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. And it's easy enough you can rec recommend it to your friends and family, which is huge because, you know, a lot of us are real nerdy, but uh, I think our family need. Usually, and our friends usually need something super easy to use. So you can sign up today at beaverbitcoin.com and uh, maybe Brains will uh, be mining uh, your Bitcoin. So that's cool. Um, Kristen, my goodness. So there's been a lot said about mining in the past week or two. Um, obviously, one of the big, one of the big uh, things that happened was this ocean announcement which uh is supposed to be integrated in stratum v2 soon but before before we get into that um let me ask you something what there's a lot of concerns about about bitcoin mining in general um there's concerns like one of the some of the thought that was going around was like oh you know three mining pools could uh take control of bitcoin mining right now of all the hashing power uh, the mining pools are starting to KYC people. Um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about that side of things? Um, is there any way to tell which mining pools are asking for, you know, unnecessary information from their, 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 their hashing sure. providers, as they call them? Uh, so when you talk about mining, there's a infinite list of foods, you know, like of the fears and the and conspiracy theories. And, the, you know, people are generally very, very bored on Twitter. Uh, so that's how. Like, I want to emphasize Bitcoin works. Bitcoin mining works. And Bitcoin is the uh, best decentralized money, uh, you know, ever in existence. It's already, it already is, like, it works and it's fixed. Uh, so of course, there are some uh, issues or some small things that we want to innovate or, like, get better in the long term. But we're not talking about, hey, we definitely need immediately decentralized pools using Shatom V2, otherwise Bitcoin will die. This is complete nonsense. Bitcoin works, Bitcoin mining works. Um, it's changing the world already. And we're talking about small um, things that just needs to be improved in the long term. So that's the first thing I want to emphasize. Then you have a wide variety of topics when people are bored on Twitter. So from, um, we have, for example, my, my favorite, right? So there are just, just, just few pools uh, controlling the whole net, uh, the whole um, network hash rate. Just just when you think about the the numbers, it doesn't really make sense the claim because in order to be a pool, so pool the the goal of a pool is to um, so de decrease the variance of rewards to miners. So miners work, they put a lot of effort, and they want to be compensated for that effort. Very very simple, and they so they join a pool. So that they get sats, you know, on daily basis. It's very, very simple um, concept. So in order to do that, you have to have around, let's say, 2.5, 3% of the network. Because if you don't, then you, it's really very easy to calculate that probabilistically, like you're not going to be finding enough blocks. So in that moment, if you have less than, like, let's say, free, an idle situation, I think it's 3 or 4% of the total network hash rate, you'll be just not finding enough blocks so you'll not serve the purpose of the like what the pool should be serving so when you calculate all that you'll just very by the very simple math calculate that we'll never see 150 pools it's just not possible if we want to have pools and miners want to have pools because they want to have consistent rewards so they will be joining the pools and the pools have to be of certain size to serve the purpose so immediately when I when you hear people talking, oh, we need 50 pools and we're going to be more decentralized. No, Bitcoin is decentralized already uh, and we're never going to see 50, 50 pools. So that, that's, for example, one of my favorite uh, bullshit topics that I hear here in mining all the time. I want to go back to Ocean with the Stratum V2 because that, that really like a little bit pissed me off. Uh, so we're authors or co-authors, so um, two of the Brains co-founders with Matt Corello, the Bitcoin Core developer. They created the Stratum V2 uh, like specification, Stratum V2 open source specification for the mining protocol back in 2019. And now like the ocean comes along and they're basically overhyped marketing pool, I would say, like th that's how I view it. Uh, and they're saying, we're going to soon use the Stratum V2. Like, what is this news even about? Like, saying anything in mining, like, we're going to see soon. It's like, it's nothing. So, and then two days before Ocean launched, there was a demand pool by Alejandro de la Torre, 
he was running uh, pulling back in the days and I think F2 pool as well or BTC.com. Um, so he has a lot of pool experience and like just two few days before he launched his own pool, new pool that is Chatham V2 only already working. So that's pretty cool news. Like uh, we want to see like that, th- that's what I call innovation. That's what I call like pushing the boundaries because he was the first, first to use uh, this Chatham V2 reference implementation. That's very big deal there are a lot of big companies like galaxy foundry um that are financing the 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 reference implementation and he took it and he launched his own pool so that's that's that that's super pretty cool um yeah did i answer your question i i ran on a ramble you know so, <laughs> no, so that... not sure yeah yeah no that's interesting so yeah i mean i think i think the whole the whole ocean launch was it was interesting, but it, it rose. It brought up a lot of concern. So let's just go through like a few basic questions. So right now, um, I like to look at Coin.dance uh, and basically dig through their website to find the whole pie chart distribution. I wish there was a better website. So first of all, is there a better website to look at pool uh, block mining rates just to get a sense of who's mining most blocks over a certain period of time? Um, maybe you can, if you, if you do have one, something other than coin, we just drop it in the, in the comments underneath the, underneath the, the, the show and, and, and I'll have a look at it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, looking at that, you have Foundry USA at allegedly 28.2 and then Antpool at 28.9. Now Antpool is Chinese as far as I'm aware, right? They're, they're, they're Asian, they're East, it's an yes. Eastern pool, right? Bitmain subsidiary. They're Bitmain subsidiary. Okay, great. And then, well, not great, but okay, good to know. And then Foundry USA is obviously an American pool, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're under, don't quote me, it's some big public trade, DCG or something like that. Yeah, they're under big group. They're they're under big group? They're American American company. Let's leave it there. Like, Don't quote me on the other, other stuff now. Sure, sure, but I just I just didn't understand what you mean by that. So like it's sort of um, it's an American group. What you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Okay, and and then you have Via BTC, which is the third. Uh, I believe that's Japanese, or is it Chinese? Well, Via BTC, I, I doubt that they're third one. Third one would be Binance. I don't know where where you're looking at your stats. Uh, Via BTC is a Russian Russian very small pool. It's uh, Russian. They're top. They're top ten, but yeah, they're mostly in like the CIS region. The, the, um, that's like uh, Russia, Kazakhstan, like the old Soviet republics. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, okay, so where do you look at this data? Because I'm looking at Coin Dance, but I don't know where they get their data. Uh, we use our, our own, so it's insights.brains.com. Uh, by the way, it, it's also um, it depends how you calculate it because. Um, there, for example, on our website, we do what's called reported hash rate. So we use APIs of the pools and then we, then we aggregate that and then we publish it. Some, some of the websites they use, they calculate it based on the blocks and it, it very, very depends like how lucky is the pool and how, how many blocks do you calculate with? It's very simple. If you calculate just, you know, using like 50 blocks and, uh, uh all of a sudden, Via BTC is very lucky, so they mo- mine more 
more blocks in that period than they usually would with their hash rate, then it would change the statistics. So there are very different uh, methodologies how you how you can report. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this CoinDance claims to look at a seven day average. I think I found the website on Brains. It says. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm looking at the top, the top ones. Ample, uh, you know, pooling Binance had to pull via BTC. Let's see, let's see. But uh, okay, so we have, we have some of the ones mentioned anyway. Yeah, we got via BTC at six point seven percent. Um, whereas I had it at, at like eleven on CoinDance. So okay, but that's interesting. So they're Russian. That's good to know. Uh, what about F2 pool? Where's F2 pool from? Uh, F two pool is China based also, like uh, okay. but the, they're they're not part of any bigger groups. So for example, Anpool they they are affiliated with Bitmain. They claim, of course, like they are independent enough. But when, come on, when Bitmain owns I don't know like eighty percent of your company, you're as independent as you can be, you know. Uh, but F two pool oh. is uh, is Chinese group, but separate. They're not part of any any group. Not uh, not affiliated with other projects. Hold on, Foundry USA is majority owned by Bitmain. No, 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 no. I said about Antpool. Antpool. Yeah. Antpool is majority owned by Bitmain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's 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 definitely been known. Okay, okay, good. I thought you said Foundry USA, and I uh, I sweat a little bit on that one. Um, <laughs> that would probably be bad. Um, okay, so F two pool. But by the way, like, I just want to like emphasize one more time: switching a pool is a matter of like. Uh, let's say friends, literally. So it's like whenever your pool right. would be starting, really as simple as you know, telling your management software like, "Hey, switch all my all my rigs to to different pools." So it's it's like a there's like next to zero cost of switching a pool. So this is very important. And 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 again, Bitcoin works because everybody is a dick. Like uh, you're everybody is. Um, behaving according to the rules because that's how you gain the most. So everybody's incentivized to play according to the rules. So again, I want to I want to emphasize Bitcoin works. Like we don't have to be worried about uh, two pools having too much hash rate because they will not they will literally not get any any benefits if they attack for Bitcoin for like uh, thirty minutes. Like really imagine like an attack vector like a. They would start uh, like double spending or something. Like the network would like realize in like a, within like minutes, they would lose shit ton of money. They would uh, go bankrupt immediately. Uh, like that, there's like you would have to be suicidal psychopath, and still uh, the 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 game theory says like they're they're big companies, so there are a lot of people. So it's like a, it will not happen. Um, there is not like one you know one. Uh, crazy boss that would uh, decide hey foundry go nuts um so again hey bitcoin works and we don't like i understand i would like to see the first two pools have a little bit less and and, and see the other players but uh if you look historically at mining pools just look at the internet uh, archive two years ago half of the pools that you see in the top 10 they were not there like uh Completely different names, pool that died in the like there the pools are changing very, very often. Um so you see it's it, it's not an issue that and never was historically. So so again, don't worry about it guys. It's like a yes, I see the foundry with a crazy amount of hash rate there as well, but uh I'm not panicking at all, so don't worry. 
Right. And I think I think that's I mean, you're, you're totally right that mining pools are this kind of like intermediate layer between, let's say, hashing power and block production. Right. And I think that was one of the insights that came out of that sort of ocean announcement, sort of speech and conference that, that I thought was an interesting distinction. Right. Like they kind of made a distinction between hashers and miners. Right. And the hashers are people that have, let's say, an ASIC at home or they have a, a little ASIC farm somewhere. Uh, or they're renting hashing power from a service provider, I assume, right? And they're pointing it at a pool and they control it from their computer, right? But they're not actually um, assembling the blocks and thus they're not actually deciding what transactions go into that. The mining pools are deciding that, even though the mining pools are not the ones bringing in the hashing power. So there's been kind of like a, a separation of of a, a, a separation of labor, right? And there's a lot of economic reasons why this has happened, right? So I think we're going to address those. But yes, I think in practice, you're right. And we've seen this throughout uh, the history of Bitcoin that whenever a mining pool gets a little bit too close, I think it happened to Antpool, actually. They get they push 51% and then people freaked out. And within within minutes, uh, they were down uh, exactly to like 20%, I think, 20-something, right? So... Um, I, I think that's I think that's true, but but my concern is that I've been told that you know pools like Antpool and Foundry, they actually have their own. I mean, first of all, let me before I get into that, let me say that if let like worst case scenario, right? The, the United States government, like you know, strong arms, sort of CIA's, you know, infiltrates USA Foundry, right? And then the Chinese, okay. you know, government does the same thing with Apple, and then they join forces to destroy Bitcoin, right? It's like, yeah, exactly. listen, if but, the United but, States but what, what, and China join forces, hold on, hold on, let me let me finish my thought. If the United States and China join forces to destroy anything, um, it would be pretty hard to stop them in general, right? In fact, this is the plotline of uh, Firefly, which is one of the best shows in history. But um, but I, I, even that, I think, is a little bit far fetched. Please uh, take it away, Christian. Um, by the way, don't, don't don't worry. I like to play around with, with those ideas because hey, we have to talk about them um, to 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 find out uh, if we need to fix something. But uh, really, like think about it from a perspective. What would you do? So the joint forces, first of all, those two like on the number of countries in the world. Like not even kidding. Like uh, is Taiwan a country or not? Like they cannot agree on such a simple thing. Now imagine, oh, they care about Bitcoin, which is by the way so freakishly tiny and it's under the radar i would say like majority of the day that when you're a politician in the u.s um and now so but in in any case but let's imagine okay they join forces they they go and attack but like what would they do like uh there's a very very small things that you would do and you would be attacking with very very super high cost for very very low time so it's like a Th- that's beauty of the of the Bitcoin. So you can like a you can in a sort of like slow down Bitcoin or, or like a you know like a negatively impact a price because there's gonna be big attack on Bitcoin. So you're gonna like move the price a bit down, but it doesn't stop Bitcoin. It doesn't kill it. Like you cannot kill Bitcoin. So you'll just slow it down or create like a drama enough that the price will dump. But uh, but there's no no way of killing it. Um, they would just lose crazy amounts of money and, you know, create, I don't know, let's say 
40% dip for a week and I'll be just fucking happy and I would stack that. So uh, I would actually lo- love to see China and US, you know, uh, joining forces because I want more cheap sets. Uh, that's one thing. Second thing that I want to mention, you mentioned hashers and miners. Um, uh, it is It is the reason you're abstracting away some of your work to the pool and you're paying the fee for that. So it's very simple. The pool is setting up nodes, the um, coordinating to work, etc., etc. If you can do that on your own in your house, uh, but it's just a little bit more complex. You have to have the 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 mining software set up, the the node operating, the etc., etc. So we just you can do it, um, but uh, miners just say, hey, we'll abstract away, we'll we'll give it to the pool operator and we'll pay them the fee. So it's it's absolutely standard market. But then I want to mention, like, because I, did, I didn't see, hear it before, but, um, but I, I just I just feel like a little demeaning because you're saying, oh, hasher is not cool enough as miner. Uh, but like the hash rate is what counts. Like um, the miners are voting with their hash rate. So. Whenever they don't like what pool is doing, they're switching the hash rate. Uh, whenever they feel, uh, hey, there's a fork for Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, they're deciding and they're voting with their hash rate and uh, electricity bill where they send. So, like, uh, I just want to emphasize, like, uh, I don't want like the hash rate to be that much demeaning because deciding where you send your hash rate is a crazy good like a uh, signal to the network, and it's very very important. And uh, so I want to you know, give all the kudos to all the miners or all the hashers, uh, and and I really don't don't see a reason why we need so, such distinctions. It's just I, okay. I don't know. It's just a like a marketing campaign of Ocean Pool. I understand it, but uh, I just don't 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 see it that that right. Uh, well, well, the concern the, the concern, as far as I understood it, was that um, you know, okay. So here's here's the concerns that I'm hearing from, let's say, the opposition or the critics. And and by the way, uh, Aon, I see you. You want to jump aboard? Uh, hang around. I'll I'll give you the mic a little bit later on. I just want to kind of like establish some facts before I bring more people in and the conversation gets a little bit more, let's say, takes its own course. But uh, yeah, I would love to have you on Aon. Um, so Kristen, so some of the concerns that I'm hearing is, um. Well, you know, obviously we had the sort of weird OFAC compliant sort of uh, mining pool effort thing that happened yeah. a few months ago. Remember that? So they were trying to they're trying to establish a pool that led by example to be OFAC compliant so that we can, you know, censor the terrible Iranians and the terrible Russians and the terrible, you know, whoever is uh, on the on the eye side of the American foreign policy today. Right. in the current thing. And um you know, obviously, I I, I, I I don't necessarily sympathize with that, even though there are bad people out there in the world, right? So I think that the problem is that, you know, there's people that both believe that and maybe have motivation to try and be compliant with their local government sort of, uh, you know, foreign policy, right? And so yeah. what happened with that OFAC compliant sort of association? And has anything develop from there for that because the, the mining pools are the ones that that assemble the, the the blocks and the ones that choose what transactions going to the blocks even though the the, the miners are providing the hashing power and it's that that division of labor 
is the one that critics are saying it might be a risk of being exploited. So uh, if I remember cor correctly, um, so OFAC's story was about a year ago when Mara, so Mara is one of the top three uh, biggest miners, uh, publicly traded company in the US. And they're so big that they're not using a pool. They're using, like, they're themselves a big miner. So they're their own pool. So they have Mara as a miner and Mara as a pool. And they started doing, so OFAC, uh, just to explain, is a, so some government agency in the US, they said, hey, these 100 addresses, Bitcoin addresses are somehow tainted. I don't know, it's a terrorist from Iran or like a, child porn, porn Russian guy. So they put them on the list and that basically, so it's a list of addresses where the, where the US government says, do not transact with those addresses because those people are very, very evil. So like a sanction list, very, very, very simple to understand. Uh, what Marathon did, they started uh, removing from blocks the 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 trans so they stopped mining the blocks that would include any transaction to or from those addresses so that, that it was the first experiment ever um on that scale about OFAC it was a, about a year ago if I remember correctly and that it was very very interesting what happened because immediately when that started like the the amount of uh, hate they got from like plebs on on Twitter it was insane. Uh, also in parallel, some of the OFAC addresses, they sent them like to, they tainted addresses of Mara because they started sending like dust from those addresses, uh, to their Coinbase, uh, uh, et etc. Et so that was very, very interesting. And I think like they, they never said it like publicly, but from what I understood, like they were just so scared of like the negative public perception they just basically they stopped doing it in a week so that was that was beautiful experiment because like marathon is like a publicly traded miner so like extreme bureaucracy extreme regulations so they wanted to be as you know as compliant as they could be like the us government they didn't ask them like in order to be compliant you have to start blocking the ofac from the blocks they just start to do it just in case, you know, they want it to be so clean that they're even ahead of the regular regulations. And the, the market, like, just, just in, that's insane how, like, pleb, plebs on, on Twitter, you know, sending them, like, this is this is wrong, how that turned. Uh, and, like, they decided in a week to stop doing it. So that was beautiful and already shown, like, uh, it doesn't work. Um, so that's first thing. Second thing, one interesting <coughs> thing is, Many, 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 many pools, they sort of do comply with the OFAC because, but on the level that they don't send the payouts uh, on the mining pool to, to those addresses. We do that as well. It's very simple. In, in that moment, you would be sending money to a, like a proven terrorist and like you would immediately, like you could not do any business with any US entity. But it's that simple. Bitcoin is beautiful. Uh, I don't know, like just use a different address, you know, we're not KYC. Um, so, so it's very easy to, to go around it. Uh, I mean, like Bitcoin is very, very powerful tool. I'm not saying like do bad stuff and be a terrorist. Uh, I'm not fucking saying that. I'm just saying Bitcoin is neutral technology that is very smart, which can be used for bad stuff if you're a bad person. Um, 
So that's that. Yeah. I don't know what was the what was the Well, yeah, and, and no, I think I think uh, on that point, yeah, I mean and it is censorship resistant. So even if like a minority uh of hashing power was in the US and and you know, cuz like the concern is like what if we enter like what if uh, you some sort of war escalates, right? I mean, there's like three hotspots in the world right now. Uh just between the US and like their proxies in the Eastern Bloc, right? So you know, like if hard, if if the war escalated or something like that, what would happen? But I mean, I think a lot of that stuff is still very theoretical, and there still be a lot of ways around it. Now, you mentioned one thing. You said um, we're not KYCing people. Well, some of the critics are saying that there's mining pools KYCing people, right? So I don't know if you've heard about this, and I'm not sure exactly who the accusations are made of. Um, actually, Aon would probably know. I'm going to give you the mic, Aon, if you can give us some some air support here on, on some of these concerns. But um, yeah, like well, is Antpool KYCing their miners? Is, is, is Foundry KYCing their miners? Uh, Foundry and Antpool as far as I know, which would be basically half of the total network. But it's as simple as there. I think there's it's a free market. So there's going to be pools that are more regulated and KYC and it's fine. If you know, if you're a, I don't know, publicly traded company in the US. If I'm sitting on the management board, I'll, I'll choose a KYC pool as well. It's very simple. But uh, hey, I'm a plug miner. I mine in Latin America. I, I would not fucking touch a KYC pool with a stick, you know? Um, right. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be a KYC mining pool? pools? We'll see. No KYC pools. Well, it's, it's absolutely fine. Like whatever suits our needs. Sure, but okay. So, what does it mean to be a KYC pool? Like, what what are they what are they asking from their miners, and why do they care? Why is that Why is that interesting? You know what I mean? Like, why is it corporately? What is it relevant for a corporation that their hashing power is KYC? Uh, don't quote me on the exact like regulation, but uh, from what I understand, it's very simple. There's a, a lot of money flowing, and uh, it doesn't matter if it's Bitcoin or it's USDT or is it dollars. It just a lot of value is being transferred, and uh, for example, in Europe, uh, you're like a ma- service money provider or something like that. When when there's a flow of sat, so um, it's as simple as that. So I think in the US, it's hey, you're you're generating a lot of this hash hash power, which creates this financial uh, asset that then we transfer to you. There's like a transfer of millions of millions of dollars we have to according to do this accounting law no and kyc is very simple it's like a they tell them okay we're this company we're based here like a, they just register with them so it's like a nothing crazy like don't don't uh, uh, like occam's razor it's, it's it's very simple uh record keeping rather than oh we're creating a list of miners and their locations you know in case there's a world war free then, then we'll just attack everybody with tanks it's a it's a very simple hey state really likes bureaucracy and you know um and record keeping so they, they just put it anywhere they can so yeah don't don't look into like too, too much like conspiracy theories there it's right right yeah i mean I, I think no, I think I think that's fair enough. I, you know, like the the accounting systems of the world are built on KYC, and once you're dealing with millions of dollars, you kind of you kind of need to keep a record of who you're dealing with in general. It might just be that the bigger the pool gets, the more likely they're going to do something like this. Um, and so, but okay, so both Antpool and Foundry, um, you know, are KYC that they're KYCing their users. Is that is that right? 
Antpool as well? Yeah, uh, I think Antpool, uh, Foundry for sure. Antpool okay. announced it, I think, like uh, two months ago. I'm not sure if they KYC it already, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Antpool as well. And by the way, that, that was a super funny story because they created like a big party, I think, in uh, in Beijing, somewhere in, somewhere in China. And they called it like a KYC night. Uh, and the tweet, uh, you can find it on their Twitter, uh, I bet you it's, it's fucking hilarious. And they said, like, a, we're happy to introduce KYC in order to strengthen privacy and security of our customers. I was laughing so hard. It's like, even ChatGPT wouldn't write this nonsense. It was crazy. That's that's amazing. That, that's the kind of uh, double speak that only... <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna exactly, say only communists exactly. would think of, but you know, I mean, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, you know, hit all of China. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's some serious. That's that's crazy. So, um, okay, that's that's interesting, and and I mean that is kind of concerning, but at the same time, it's okay. So they know who who's giving them hashing power. You know, they could. You know, it's, it's still what what could they actually do there? Um, now. I think it would be good to like go down the list of potential attacks. But before we get into that, um, by the way, one, one more thing. Go ahead. I, I, as far as I know, the KYC is just about like proving identity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not about disclosing where exactly your ASICs are physically located. So it's like a so worst case, the state knows. Okay, this company is mining with this account and there's a person that verified ID so they, they can find you, but you're not saying, hey, I have uh, hundreds of ASICs in this location and hundreds of ASICs in that location. So in, in that case, it's you know even a little bit less risky if we've talked about like some theories that could happen in the future. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's, a, there's another degree of separation, right? Like it might be like, there's a human behind it, but the, there's, the, the, there's multiple servers in different locations and you don't know exactly where they are. You have to go get them, capture the guy, coerce them. Right. Okay. So yeah. Okay. That, that's, that's interesting. Um, now one of the things that I've heard too, that's kind of confused me is obviously with Antpool because they're, associated with Bitmain, the fun around Bitmain has always been that they, you know, for those that don't know, Bitmain is basically probably still the biggest uh, ASIC manufacturer. And so the, the thought is that they they create the ASICs, right, which mine Bitcoin. <clears throat> they mine with them on their own pool for a while before they ship them to their, their customers. So they're they're mixing, they're kind of like, they're, it's the equivalent of commingling funds, you know, like they're, they're both, they both have public external miners in and they also have their own my hashing power inside the same pool and um i mean it's it's not like coming in funds in the sense that it's it's not exactly explicit fraud but the problem is when you look at at, at a pie chart like this and you look and you see mine pool with 28 percent i don't know that 28 percent of those are outside of bitmain's direct control right like what percentage of end pool would you say is actual bitmain's you know homegrown in their factory hashing power. And uh, what would you say about Foundry USA? Like, is, does Foundry USA have their own miners or are they just a pool? Oh, uh, as far as I know, Foundry mines as well. Uh, they're do definitely doing hosting. So I would imagine they have a part of the hash rate as well. But we're, uh, it's very difficult to, to, to say any number. But uh, so my only reaction is 
the hash rate is now it's so insanely big like the network security of bitcoin is so insane right now so I, that it makes me really doubt that they will have like super significant portion of inside foundry or inside um uh, like we're, we're talking such insane hash rate numbers now that really if just imagining imagining you know they would have it, it's just not doable if you think about the largest miners in the u.s um check how how much marathon or rad they have the, the, it, it's not like half of ant pool you know so even if bitmain is on that level which i doubt not 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 even ten more close uh, but even if they would be uh, i don't know like 10 percent of ant pool but uh, not, not like 50 or you know so um, so it, it's fine like um, i wouldn't worry about that Okay, no, that's really interesting. Yeah, you, you you have a you have a point, a good point there. So you're saying that, you know, the biggest known private mines, you know, what do they get up to? Like they can get like Mara, you know, like what what percentage of the hash hash rate is the biggest known mining uh, setup? Do 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 we have any any intel on that? Uh, that you caught me there, but uh, let let me check um, insights uh, because the marathon marathon is they so they mine inside their own pool. Uh, so we might check. Uh, so give me a sec. So so marathon is like their top top. I don't know. Let's let's say top five publicly traded traded miner in the. Yeah yeah. So I see it. So that they're around twenty exahash. And the total network is 450 uh, or, or even more like 30 day average is 400, 480. So, so, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, they're tiny sort of, but they're like insanely big, like 20 X hash. It's insane operations. Like you would not believe like it's, it's crazy professionalized, huge operations, but still there are 20 X hash out of the 480. Um, and we're talking about really top three biggest mine, miner in the world. So, um, right. Hey, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining is huge as it gets these days. It's, it's crazy, uh, to really grasp the scale, the scale of it. Okay. So, so what are the biggest miners? I just want (laughs) to, this is amazing. So one of the biggest miners in the world has 20 X hexahashes, no, exahashes with an E. Yes. Exa. Exahashes. And that's that's twenty out of about almost five hundred, so that is um, yeah, that's that's one percent less than less than one percent of the of the hashing power. Trying to figure out how to do that math. Yeah. Anyway, it's 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 yeah, it's probably like less than one percent of the hashing power. Okay, so that's that's good to know because yeah, their their operation is probably ginormous, right? Like. We're talking about warehouses of, of of ASICs, right? We're talking about tens of thousands of ASICs that, like, tens of like I don't know, hundred fifty thousand ASICs. Like, a, to, talking about several locations that are big, like I don't know, like a Walmart. Uh, it, it's a crazy, insanely big operations. Wow, and yeah, and the amount of electricity that they need, like they, you know, we're talking about like multiple towns worth of electricity, or at least you know. Like how much energy, like roughly, could you could you guess to me how much energy it would require to put out 
20 exa hashes. Whoa. Like that's that, tough. That, that, I know. That, I'm putting you on the spot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I can I can calculate yeah. it that quickly. Sorry. That's tough. That's tough. No, but I think I think we get I think we made a good point here, right? So like that 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 definitely makes me feel a little bit less concerned because you know you look at these pie charts, right? You see Foundry at 28, Ample at 28, but if if Marathon is you know maybe one percent of the global hashing power on their own and they are you know one of the biggest industrial grade multiple locations then the idea that 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 any of these other mining pools are actually just you know giants in the cover under the cover of a mining pool um i think that that kind of becomes less credible right by the way, I found I found the number for you. <laughs> uh, so so we I scroll on our so we have the insights.brains.com and we have a capacity calculator. So it's like you input how much megawatts you have and it gives you like an estimate like how many I don't know let's say S19s you can fit in that capacity. So so I played around with with few numbers and so if if we say they would be running pros so like 21 exash is around 700 megawatt megawatt hours so it's um i don't know how to recalculate 700 megawatts to two towns in the u.s i'm sorry but it's insane amount of energy insane yeah now we would need to contextualize what that even means right so like i mean i don't know quick google if anybody wants to quickly google how much energy uh i don't know uh, a major city takes that would be the next level um, but, uh, no, that's amazing. Okay. So that, that, I think, I think, I, I think we get the point across, right. It's a ridiculous amount of energy. You probably would like, like, I know the town that I live in, I live in a medium sized town in Colombia. I doubt they're producing that kind of energy. I think, I think that energy would probably take down the energy grid down here. So, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like, okay, I, I'm, I feel like we like I'm satisfied with that answer. I think that's the, the idea that there's these these giants are covertly sort of that they're they're hiding their their centralized hashing power behind these sort of pools, right? Yeah, maybe some, but not. It's not going to be a relevant amount from an attacker perspective, which means they are vulnerable to market forces. Which means that if they any of them cross the line, you know the the hashing power uh pointed at them would probably jump ship so in that case let me ask you what why are Antpool and foundry so big i mean i guess foundry it seems to me like foundry's whole you know marketing strategy is like hey we're made in the usa you know rah 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 first of all which is i think it's good you know it, it diversifies diversifies the poles, right? Like we had China being dominant in mining for like a decade. Nothing really bad happened. But so, but I still like that USA has a strong sort of uh, foot in mining. But then the other thing is that they're basically KYC and super compliant and like for public markets and it's just corporate, you know, a, a straight edge mining pool, right? Like US compliant and stuff, which, it, so that, that seems to be their pitch. Um, but why like are, why are they economically superior aside from that is that it or is there other incentives or other things that you look at when you let's say do some market analysis that you say this is what makes a pool successful 
economically for miners? You know, what, what, what are miners looking mm -hmm. for when they decide what pool to use? I would say that for Foundry, it's combination of they're very, I think they're part of like a, some publicly traded organization, like they're a subsidiary of something. And they're, so that means they're very like regulate, like they're very like professionalized in the regulatory sense. So, so they have like all the necessary audits, like a SOC 2 compliance audits, et cetera, et cetera. So, and if you're a big miner, you really like your auditors and the, and your st shareholders and stakeholders, they really want the, that you work with those partners. So being like a super compliant pool with a, with a lot of audits and certifications, blah, blah, blah. It makes it very, very good partner for the publicly traded companies. So that, that, that's, that's, I would say number one, uh, foundry, uh, upside. So, you know, when you compare to us, we're like, a, yes, we're in the, in the space for a long time, but we're still like a, let's say a hundred, you know, hundred, uh, employees company in the middle of Europe. So we're, we're not like a super conglomerate with, uh, I don't know, with, a huge accounting and auditing teams, etc. So if you're like big publicly traded miner, you would be gravitating towards the foundry. Um, but the, yeah, so, so that's number one, number two, they, they offer like other, other, um, other additional services. So when they're super, like super rich and super big companies that then help you with like financing of the big uh, hardware purchases, etc. We're just, we don't have resources to do that. Um, so, so that, that's, so that, that's foundry and for the ant pool, this story is way, way easier. If you're part of Bitmain, uh, they can do very, very cool deals where they say, Hey, buy my, uh, buy my ASICs. I'll give you a discount. Like, don't quote me on the numbers. I'm just, you know, playing a figurative scenario. It's just, Hey, Hey, buy, buy my ASICs, those these new Bitmain machines, I'll give you a big discount if you send a deal that you'll be mining with our pool for the next three years. Um, so they have a very, very big advantage that they have the hardware as well as the software. So it's very easy to create very good deals. Uh, and I, 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 I don't know what the deals are, if they like uh, charge more on the ASIC or then they charge less and then they make money on the pool. But I would imagine they they make more on the hardware, not on the pool. Uh, that would be just my, my personal, but so it's very simple. If you have hardware and software, it's a very good combination where you can make very good deals. Yeah. Right. No, that's a great point. So, so Foundry USA is providing financing and credit lines probably and, and facilitating accounting and uh, giving like a clear record so that these companies can go public so that they can raise fiat to buy hashing power and so on. That makes sense. Uh, so they're very they're very corporate sort of public markets sort of focused mining pool. And then Ant Pool, yeah, they're just you know they're they're uh, <laughs> they're 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 also doing financing deals just with based on hardware sales and such. Um, okay, what what are other incentives that that companies can compete on? Right. So like let's say for for uh, brains. You know, when you look at your offering, what is what is your offer to 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 miners? Um, yeah. So uh, there are several ways where you can go. Uh, I, I remember pooling; they were doing some like um, financial services on top of the pool. The, here, I want to emphasize, like 
generally mining pool is not really profitable business these days. It was for a long term, it was like race to zero. So all the pools they started to figure it out like like mining pools are more of a like pool of users. And like a but you have to so it's a pool of users, but then you have to have other services or other products where you actually make the money. This is exactly by the way, so really this is the case for the past four years in the in the industry. Talk to anybody or all the pools, they have some other revenue stream that they make money on. So for example, in our case, we have uh for example our firmware so aftermarket firmware is just a fancy war way how to say operating system for the machines so we so you install our operating system into your mining machines and uh we give you like better features um or or better efficiency or higher higher hash rate and for that we take some fee um so then what do we do is okay you use our operating system you use our pool We'll give you the pool for free and we'll charge you for the operating system. Foundry does, for example, hey, we'll help you with the financing, we'll 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 sell you hosting, but we'll we'll give you very cheap, cheap, um, cheap pool. This is why I'm emphasizing really, this is the case for the past years. Is it's not it's not not a secret. Like pools are raised to zero for, for a long time. Uh, they're next to zero already. So that's why, by the way, where I really, really don't understand what's happening with Ocean because all mining business is raised to zero for the past five years and somebody is investing like $6 million into new mining pool, it like makes zero sense to me. Like I cannot imagine, and I, and I have huge respect for Jack. And I know he's one of the lead investors. So that part, like, it, it baffles me. Like, I have no idea what's going happening there. I would never, ever give my money to a new mining pool. Mining pools is such a, like, a you can spin up a new mining pool, like, in a in a half a day on, like, a cloud services. It's like a, it, it's such a commodity. It's such a, uh, yeah. So th- that that really makes me wonder. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. So let, let's talk about Ocean. Um, and then maybe we can open it up to Aeon and, and hear some of his thoughts on the conversation so far. So the Ocean announcement was kind of interesting, right? I think they they obviously got a bunch of attention. Uh, Luke Jr. is working with them. Um, a, you know, a, a white hat hacker that had a, had a big role in like revealing big vulnerabilities and Tesla is working on their back end. Uh, Bitcoin mechanic is with them. He's an interesting guy as well. I met him before, and they're allegedly gonna introduce Stratum V2 into the mining pool and let miners create their own templates. Can you can you explain Stratum V2? Like, why is it a thing? What what is, what problem is it trying to solve? So when you you have to think historically, so the whole network hash rate when the first Stratum was or the like the stratum that is currently the standard uh like the total network hash rate was like uh really like two s19 like s9s uh now we're talking about it would be 35 million of those so uh the 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 standards or the requirements for the mining protocol mining protocol stratum is just a set of rules how the machine communicates with the pool literally just how you send the work, how you communicate, like it's just a set of rules how those two parties communicate with each other. So the the current standard is just a plain text, not end-to-end encrypted in JSON. It's just a it's it's naively stupid. It's like a very, very old standard. 
and if you think about what we need as a mining industry and you're thinking about okay the next 10 20 30 years we need we just need an upgrade it's as simple as that so so stratum v2 just based on the experience that we as a pool operator have we talk we, we work with a lot of smart people in the industry and we just created like a new standard it's like a hey if we have to upgrade in the future to something what like what have to be solved so for example one thing is binary protocols so it's you're not sending plain text over internet uh, so it's d- like data loads are in, uh, insanely reduced it's end-to-end encrypted etc etc so it's, it's just a very a lot of small improvements that we just as a mining industry need uh, but it's it's a it's a long like a long run like to upgrade the we're talking about like the next let's say two halvings before we'll see like a, i don't know like, let's say a half of the hash rate on the stratum video but we always knew it it's like a very slow process but it's something that we don't necessarily need now but like cannot live without i don't know like let's say three halvings away uh so by the way, saying okay, that's uh, it. We'll introduce Stratum V two, and it's gonna happen in next two years. It's 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 like what 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 the hell is that news? Like we are on Brainspool, we're running Stratum V two on thousands of machines and thousands of miners all around the world for the past three years. And so, like, why is anybody uh, like uh, amazed about some ocean pool that will launch maybe Stratum V two in like a year or two? It's like a it should not be even a, a thing on Twitter. Like the like go read memes. It's more interesting, you know. Okay, that that's 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 amazing. Okay, so you guys have have had have been running it for three years. Why is the adoption so slow on that? Like, what are 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 my, are these mining pools just not aware of the benefits? They don't care, or or are the benefits, you know, we all, not we that all. immediately important? We yeah. always knew it's gonna be a very long, long process. Like, the, the, like actually, the 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 interest is way quicker than we actually anticipated. Like, really, really, it's not it's not dodging the question um, because it just in in order to have full implementation, you have to have the support in the hardware. So the like physical machines have to be supporting Stratum V two as well as pools. So we have a very good advantage because we're the co-authors of Stratum V two. So we really understood it from the beginning and we have our firmware and our pool so it was very easy for us to like create the whole stack that the it communicates with each other so so it was very easy for us to 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 execute then the majority of the market is waiting for the open source implementation so there's a group that the foundry is uh, financing galaxies in the financing like a lot spiral from jack so a lot of different companies pay grants to developers who then develop like an open source code for Stratum V2, then that they all the pools can take and use. So that's currently happening. And that was the story of demand pool by Alejandro last week. So he took the, the open source um, code and he starts running it. So now, so it's literally this code was released, I don't know, like a month ago. So we'll just slowly see... I don't know, in the next, let's say, one to three years, uh, other pools just implementing it. So it was really like just a matter of time. Hey, somebody had to code it. And then bear market, you know, it, we're, we're happy that uh, some of the companies were financing with some of the grants, the developers. But hey, it was bear market. It was just tougher. So there were fewer developers. So just it just took a little bit longer to code. Um, so that's first thing. And then the 
one more thing from like from minor perspective like like you as a miner you have like number one priority uptime there's uptime like you just want to be mining all the time there's like not and then the second priority is nothing 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 and then on maybe on the fifth fifth position it would be like i don't know efficiency gains by updating the firmware uh you know and and, and things like that like a stratum v2 is like your priority number 50 so but we always knew about this so it's like a, it's just gonna take a little bit longer um we need support both from pools from hardware manufacturers understanding and education on the mining uh, like miners themselves so it's just a long run um but it's moving in a good direction so um generally okay. really, i'm positive and is, is Stratum V2 still, like, as a protocol, still being improved? Like, is there, are there other, you know, like, if if some, if there's some big privacy improvement or some big scalability or, or decentralization improvement, can you guys, you know, put it into Stratum V2 at scale, deploy it at scale, or is it just kind of like a, a fixed protocol at this point? Uh, good question. Uh, it's actually still, so it's open source, uh, and it's still uh, it's still changing. So don't quote me on the, like what it exactly means, but just I remember like few weeks, a few months ago, like, like let's say two three months ago, like all the all the people that are working on the reference implementation, they they just agreed, hey, we need this pro like this part of the protocol, and they just like implemented something called like noise. Uh, I don't know no, no, noise protocol, or whatever. So they just they just figure that hey this part is not really efficient, we should like redo it. And because it's on, on Pesosius, we're open source standard, like and everybody can, and they just came to consensus and they agreed and they upgraded. So it's, so it's a living thing. And uh, for sure, the more adoption we see, the more work that we see on Shaton V2, that's how you test all the ideas. Like Shaton V2, it's like, it is pretty complex. It's binary, you know, you cannot see it like with your naked eye as simple as JSON plain text. So it's just a little bit more com complex. So uh, we need to see more adoption and more work on it in order to test, validate that it, it, it works how it's supposed to and to like figure out, hey, maybe we, sh we have to up update something. But it is happening already, uh, the improvement. So that, that, that's good. Right. Okay. Okay. So that that's that's all really interesting. I mean, I'm I'm learning a lot in this conversation. I appreciate your time. Um, let me ask you about ordinals because this was part of the big <laughs> the big thought is that um, you know Ocean runs on knots, which is a implementation maintained by Luke. And Luke is obviously not a big fan of ordinals. He thinks they're basically like a hack, which they kind of are. They kind of are a hack. And so you know, like kind of an exploitation of, of, you know, something within Bitcoin. And um, how do you look at ordinals? I think the biggest concern here that I've seen was from Bitcoin Mechanic that saying that, suggesting that Luxor, my, the one that, this is, I guess, one of the mining pools that mined that big block, which was just like a giant four megabyte JPEG, you know, <laughs> and they got paid out of band to mine that. And he was suggesting that, that Luxor did not pay their miners for that because i don't know because it was an out-of-band transaction i don't know do you think that's true and is this a concern do you think my impulse are actually going to start doing that just like mining block with other people's hashing power and not paying the mic that seems pretty unrealistic right like I, that that would that would be called out pretty quickly no 
so out of let's let's let me start with out of bulk payment so by the way for for the listeners it just somebody comes to a pool and behind the closed door says hey mine this transaction for me i'll not pay the like market price like the sending you you know to mempool i'll give you literally money on the table and uh you'll mine the transaction for me this is happening we 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 know about many many proven situations like this it sucks and it should not be the case um we, we don't do it um some 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 pools we know that they did it uh, i don't want to name names uh, or the reasons uh, it should not be happening because in that in that moment you're receiving payments that exactly like your customers will never know about so you don't have to distribute anything because the your customers your miners they will not know that they like they were supposed to get uh some additional payments so the the sucks this should not be the case um but i believe it, it it's going to improve in the future like with shutdown b2 with some other other features uh out of bound payment should not not be present that's my opinion it should be market price transparent like you're like you're fucking over your customers basically like it should be the case okay but let's say but let's say hold on let's say that let's say that the mining pool because i mean the excuse for this for this particular transaction was that because of the way i don't know bitcoin works this JPEG could not be mined under the normal process, right? And so it had to be mined um, off-band. But let's let's assume in good faith that Luxor paid, grabbed that money, turned it into Bitcoin, and distributed it to their miners anyway. Um, what's the problem? What's what's why why are out-of-band payments like that bad? If 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 let's say hashers are getting paid, obviously if they're not getting paid, they're getting you know, a scam unless that's explicitly sort of part of the agreement, right? But like, yeah, why are they, why, why do you think they're so bad? So we don't do it. So I never went like super deep, like on the, on the technicalities of it, right? So, so let me just say the problem is the transparency. Like uh, in Bitcoin and in Bitcoin, my reputation is like, the, it's like make or break situation for you. So, so, I cannot imagine us um, doing some out of bound payment, and then because then there's no pre like good way to say uh, we got paid X, so we'll pay this much to the miners. It's just you can say like whatever. Im- imagine uh, somebody would pay us one BTC and would say we just received zero point one, and that it's just a uh, uh, Bitcoin is very beautiful because it's it's so transparent and so easy to check. Like, don't trust verify. It's just, you know, you look into the mempool, you just say, hey, uh, that they built all using all the top the top transactions. It's, just, it's very easy to verify that we as a mining pool operator are doing what, like, the the right things. And if we don't, then move your hash rate. Without the bad payments, just, it's exact opposite. It's just as non-transparent and as, so th- th- that that's where I have issues with it. Uh, but I really didn't. Right, know. and... No, I think that's super interesting because yeah, you you because Bitcoin is a public network, you know, it's a public accounting network. Um, yeah, if 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 a miner, if a mining pool mines a block with a bunch of transactions that are like you know at the fee rate that you would expect given the current market conditions, except for this one transaction that has like a lower fee, 
that that would be weird. Obviously, they would if they were doing covertly, they would just camouflage the transaction. But you know, by raising a giving it a competitive fee. But if it has competitive fee, then why would you not just put it through the network, right? So you know, it would have to be because it's because it's breaking some other, let's say, uh, soft rule like the fact that you know you can't. You know, I think with this ordinal in particular, it was like a four megabyte ordinal that does fit into the block space, you know, according to the rules, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't, like, do you remember that case? Do you, did you, did you study that? Are you aware of the details of that one? There's some reason why you yeah. couldn't mine it normally, right? I saw it. I didn't go into so much details because really, right. again, like we don't support out of our payments. We don't support ordinal. So it's like uh, right. there's just twenty four hours support in a day. You know, no, no, no. Okay, like, uh, l- 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 let me put it this way. Me personally, I, I would you never don't. do it. Personally. I would, yeah. I would never recommend to my friends. We have the same stance at brains, but we would never ever like filter something that is according to consensus. So as a pool operator, our uh, we have a duty to pick the best transactions, the fattest fees distributed to our miners. I think this is the right the right um, policy that we have at Brainspool. Me as a miner, I love the fees. I love the fees and I love Lightning Network. So I'm an I'm absolutely happy user of Bitcoin. I can still transact. I can do my payments using Lightning Networks. I'm getting fat fees. And we don't have to be worried about, you know... Um, um, security budget, etc., etc. But mm-hmm. um, but I couldn't care less about images or like dick pics on 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 the chain. Like for me, right. I, Bitcoin is freedom. Like do whatever you want to do if you pay for it and if it's according to consensus. But right. I'm not. I don't have to support it. I don't have to be happy about your you know Pikachu images on blockchain. But uh, hey, Bitcoin is freedom. Do whatever you want as as long as you pay me the fat fee. Yeah, exactly. As long as you're paying your fair share of the of the block space, then it's fair game. I think I think so too. It doesn't concern me. I think it's a big distraction. I don't think I don't think ordinals are, you know, a threat. It would be nice if the fees weren't ridiculously high right now, but they were always going to go up. And we need we need, actually we need the stress test on the fee market so that the the scaling solutions scale, you know, and they get built properly. You know, I think we. When the first ordinal wave came, we realized that a lot of these lightning service providers were actually like pretty comfortable with the low fee environment, and they a lot of these channels broke, and a lot of these infrastructure needed to be upgraded. So um, I think that's a good thing, you know. I, I, I that to me I, that's a benefit, a side benefit of the ordinal market. Even though I agree, ninety nine percent of the JPEGs, maybe a hundred percent, are stupid. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's. I think I that's think fair enough. But okay, so, of them so are I, stupid, but I love the face. Well, you know, I, the only thing I would say about that is that Satoshi engraved in the Genesis blog a meme, right? And so, if it's okay for him to do it, I think there might be some memes that are worth engraving on the blockchain. But you still have to pay your fair share, right? I think at the very least, you know. So I think th- th- this area of like out of band covert you know scammy you know uh mining transactions right like that's i do think i do see the 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 transparency concerns uh concerns with that 
By the way, Adam is here. Uh, good yeah. to have you. What's here. up, guys? So sorry for I'll, being I'll, late. I would love to hear your 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 thoughts on it. Yeah, that was that was my bad, guys. What's up, Adam? I, I had a phone call. Sorry, sorry for being way late to the to the room, but um, glad to be here. No, I and, and on, on the topic of ordinals, you know, one thing I I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Um, you know, people have to change their way of thinking. That's what Bitcoin Bitcoin does, right? It's not like the centralized digital payment systems we use that are, you know, whether it's through credit card or whatever, it's because it's a push system, right? I mean, I was, I was dealing with a friend yesterday that uh, wanted to, wanted to bump their fee or cancel their transaction and either option there, right? Whether you bump a fee using RBF or, or quote unquote, cancel a transaction, it costs, it costs you money, right? You have to, you have to increase your fee. And so, like that's that initially like pissed him off, right? It was, it wasn't a, it was a bad thing. And I was like, well, listen, like this is a, this is an immutable system that you're opting into and you know, you're competing with the market for block space. And so if you want to participate in this, in this game, there's always going to be a cost. And that's, and this is something I love about Bitcoin. Right. And I think it's something that will, will force discipline upon you know, users of the network that there's, there's always going to be some type of cost. There's always going to be some type of trade-off. There's no free lunch. There's no free ride in Bitcoin. And, and in that regard, you know, I think overall it's a, it's a great thing. Ordinals just, <laughs> I mean, like I, I've said this before, I just think that they're like a, it's like an autographed, you know, ounce of gold, right? It's like, I take an ounce of gold and I sign it and I'm like, okay, now somebody buy this for three times the price of spot gold. Um, like I think personally it doesn't really interest me, but people are going to try to use block space for whatever they want and, and, and inscribe whatever they want, but it's going to come at a cost. And that, that I think is relatively unsustainable so long as there's not this crazy demand for <laughs> fucking JPEGs. Um, but it's so long as there's a demand for them and people start bidding them up, I think, you know, people will spend tons of money risking tons of money to, to mint them, to try to you know, make a return. I imagine plenty of people are getting wrecked. That's not what you, you don't hear that often. Not, not nobody tweets about how they spent 10 grand inscribing JPEGs and made nothing on them, but I'm sure that plenty of that's happening. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like, no, like most of the NFT market is, uh, at all time bottom right now, even though the, the rest of the market is pretty much heading upwards. So yeah, NFTs in general are a terrible investment and, um, it's just, it's just, you know, it's like art in general. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever bought art. I've bought a lot of art. I have no expectations that anybody will pay me what I bought it for ever. Why would you? I didn't buy it to resell it. I bought it to hang it on my wall, right? That's why you should buy art. There's other reasons to buy art that are generally, you know, very niche and uh, dumb. There's anyway. I don't, I don't want to make it about about art and 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 money laundering and. <laughs> all the all the crazy stuff that's probably happening there, but um, but okay, but I, but I'm, I guess the question that's relevant here, and then I want to hear Aon's thoughts on this whole conversation because I appreciate you being sort of hanging on. Um, can, but can mining pools in this environment survive without mining JPEGs? Because there does seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of fees being paid by these these uh, JPEG enjoyers. Well, I think it, it depends if your pool wants to be you know, FPPS, then and you, and your pool is going to take risk. Then I think it's going to be a tough road to not 
profit maximize when you're choosing transactions to include in a block, right? Um, if you're doing like a PPLNS where the pool isn't taking any risk, well, then no, a, a PPLNS pool does, they can, you know, they, they only pay out to miners when they find a block. And so, you know, to them, it's, there's no risk there. So I think the structure of the pool is going to pl- plays, you know, a, a vital impact on whether or not they have any flexibility. Can you please break up those those acronyms uh, and maybe give us a quick yeah, overview so, of what they so mean? So what FPPS is is you know pay per share plus fees. So it's a it's a way that you know you get paid out consistently, um, so that every day you make about the same amount of Bitcoin so long as your hash rate you know remains consistent. Um, that's the pool taking risk, right? That's the pool saying, hey, even if we find a block or not, you know we're going to be paying you guys what is it two hundred sat or one hundred and eighty sat per terahash per day. Um, PPLNS, you know, the legendary slush or brains pool, right? Which which is just now kind of switching, but PPLNS is miners don't get paid until they find a block. And if you've got a low likelihood um, of, of finding a block, you have a relatively low total hash rate, that, that kind of uh, lack of consistency can can create turmoil um, on humans because humans are emotional, right? I mean, me, even me, right? So like, I mean, I, I, I'm so neurotic about, about this stuff and about data that I even tracked uh, brains pool and I tracked their hash rate versus total hash rate. And I tracked how many blocks they were finding at what frequency. And at the end of the day, it all came out even, right? It's like, Oh, if I mind with that, if it was PPLNS, I would have made this much if if I mined on a, you know, FPPS. I, it, it, it was so minuscule, right, uh, the difference. And so ultimately, you ought to mine the, the same anyway, because statistically speaking, it should all even out on a long enough time horizon. But humans, you know, the idea of one day I, I made $10 in Bitcoin, the next I made 40 and the next I only made two, people, people don't like that, um, certainly when they're risking capital. And so... Even if it's better for them, they may not like it because of that, you know, just that that lack of of confidence. And so I think the trend toward FPPS, toward the more consistent payouts is normal. Like I, I expect that, um, but they're going to be taking risk and they, they definitely have to profit maximize then, in my opinion. So that's why, like, I think in the ocean pool can can do what it's doing because they're not taking risk. Um, you know, they it's more of a of a project probably has very minimal upkeep, right? Um, very low operating cost. And if you're not taking any risk, then, you know, it's dealer's choice. Right. Yeah, no, that, that's super interesting. Um, Aeon, thanks for hanging on. I've been, I've been telling you, I'm going to let you jump in for like an hour now. Um, and we're kind of starting to get away from the questions of censorship and, centralization. So before we get too far away from it, because I definitely I'm really enjoying where the conversation is going. Um, what are your thoughts so far? You, you've been listening to the whole combo. Where do you think there's any particular questions we missed or didn't address? Yeah, great talk. Um, yeah, I just wanted to jump back to Stratum V2 stuff. because I feel like the way Ocean had, um, you know, marketed their pool and, you know, they were radically decentralizing mining with Stratum V2. And I mean, most people don't realize, but Stratum V2 is not like decentralizing 
there's still a central point of failure with Strata V2, whereas the pool operators can reject the template from you know the the miners that are suggesting it. So there's still a central point of failure within that system. And so P2 pool is the only decentralized mining pool that Bitcoin has ever had. And that had a lot of drawbacks, really inconsistent. So it never really gained any ground. But I just feel like people are falling on those assumptions like, oh, we get stranded V2 and centralization of mining is fixed. It's, it's really not. It helps, you know, distribute suggesting templates to the pool operator, but it doesn't really create decentralized mining like we would want long term yeah that's that, that's something that I was was kind of weird like they were conflating or, or they were kind of mixing the ideas of, of strata v2 with uh i guess building the blocks on the edges i guess that's part of the that's part of the uh innovation of strata v2 that you can that the, the hashing providers can submit block templates to the mining pool is that, is that right Kristen? Uh, yes. Um, so I, let me, again, sure. Bitcoin, Bitcoin works, Bitcoin mining works, Bitcoin is decentralized. So, but there are just things that can be a little bit more improved. So Stratum V2, one of the use cases is there is a feature that is, by the way, opt in. You don't have to have it as a pool, but you, you can give like the the option or the use case for to for your miners to be creating the templates and then they can be negotiating with the pooler. Like do you want mine? Uh, I'll pay this much, or you can be sending it to multiple pools, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's creating like a new use cases and then uh, it's a new feature that uh, um it just it's a little bit more improving the situation, but it's not a silver bullet to this decentralization. Bitcoin is decentralized, so we don't need silver bullet. And it's just a little bit improving, like small details. So that's why, again, why I call all, like the whole announcement of Ocean bullshit because it's like, hey, we'll launch Stratum V2 something next year, and we're radically decentralizing mining. It just, I don't know, it just sounds like a too strong marketing for, um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, on its own, it doesn't seem like enough, but go, go ahead, Ian. Yeah, the point about Bitcoin is decentralized. I agree, but Bitcoin wasn't designed with pool pool mining in, in mind. Satoshi always you know, thought one CPU, one vote. He always assumed there's going to be a lot of solo miners out there. So pooled mining is, up to now, completely custodial and centralized. And so to have a decentralized mining pool, you have to have some kind of consensus mechanism and that's what p2 pool offered you have we would run a p2 pool node along with a bitcoin node and then that would create a consensus mechanism where people would share the work that's being done share how the payouts coinbase outputs are being um processed and all that but strata v2 doesn't do that it just offers you know like chris was saying an optional template submission system but again the pool operator can reject that for any reason, for, you know, economic reasons or because the state is coming and saying, hey, you know, your miners are not submitting OFAC compliant templates. You need to, you know, reject their templates. I like what Christian said, though. I mean, I like it's a good point, right? I mean, we're the whole the whole mission is it's not necessarily to, you know, invent some some type of silver silver bullet. And I think mining Mining is more decentralized today than in the the China era, I think, uh, substantially. 
right? Um, especially just when you look at it, not necessarily geographically, but in terms of entities. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't subscribe. I don't give any credence to to pools with a ton of hash rate because hash rate can flee so easily um, that you know, and they're not they're not in control of the actual hardware or the or the mining. So ultimately, that isn't that isn't much of a concern for me. That being said, the more pools, I think, the better. Um, but at the end of the day, what we want is more stakeholders, right? More people, um, deploying capital to, to produce Bitcoin, um, and have them just have different incentives and different allegiances than everyone else on the network, which ultimately is, is the game anyway, right? Now, while a lot of it's in the United States, which I think is a, a better jurisdiction than most, you know, the, the the ability for that hardware to move and relocate, it, it's a slow process, but it's one that here in the United States is would likely be allowed, right? If even if the U.S. was going to come out and and take some really strong regulatory action against the miners, they would give them time to relocate their business. They would, you know what I mean? Like there would be considerations. Um, whereas in China, when China had sixty percent of hash power, like that was truly scary, right? Like that was less than ideal to say that to say the least and so just another step to help make sure that over time you know this becomes so far and spread so far out spread wide that nobody no central entity not even a bunch of central entities working together could come and try to capture and i think we're I mean, we're approaching that i think the number one thing is going to be time right when the more people that learn the more people that understand i mean there's not very many people on earth right now that really understand what it takes from a capital standpoint, from a risk standpoint, to invest in a mine, right? So what happens when just that number is 10x greater? When 10x more people understand what it means to deploy a Bitcoin mine and, and what it means to rescue stranded or economic energy, right? Well, we'll see, we'll see plenty more machines get deployed. And price does that, right? That's what happens. Price goes up, everybody learns, everybody starts to participate, and the world changes. And it's just that... It's just that slow cycle, right? The fact that it's there's no instant gratification is is rough, but every day I, I feel like it strengthens, right? It, it decentralizes and it strengthens. Yeah, Adam, could you give us a quick um, overview of of what you do in the mining industry? I believe you work for Upstream. Uh, what does Upstream do, and what do you what do you do with them? Yeah, so I, I work with Upstream Data. Um, we're a effectively, I mean, we're an oil and gas company. We're an oil and gas service company. We we have a full fabrication uh, facility and motor shop. Uh, what I do is I work with oil and gas producers as well as other risk takers who are looking to deploy uh, Bitcoin mining into the into the oil field on site, right? And for the most part, that's to mitigate or to sell their waste gas, right? Natural gas that they can't economically bring to market. They may have a pipeline. They may even have interconnection, but the price is really unattractive or they're not happy with the, the contract that they got with the midstream. Uh, but either way, a Bitcoin mine is advantageous to them because they have, they have liability energy. They literally have energy that's costing them money to, to produce and to deal with. And so, you know, mining is really attractive to them. It's really cool right now because if you're selling natural gas to a pipeline, you're making $2 in MCF. Some places far less, like $1.20 if you're in certain... Um, markets and if you're mining bitcoin you're making like 
four and a half times that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of people are taking a serious look. Um, and it's been that way for a while where it's, you know, it's been attractive to mine Bitcoin with your natural gas rather than send it to a pipeline. Uh, it comes with, you know, pretty substantial, it's pretty capital intensive. There's pretty substantial upfront capitalization costs because you're not just buying computers. You've got to buy a, um, a natural gas engine, right? Something to turn that natural gas into electricity. But from the standpoint of a, of an investment, it's, it is the most attractive thing an oil and gas producer can do with their gas. Um, I think it's a much more attractive investment than, than trying to build a pipeline at times. Um, and so that's what I do. I, I constantly am, you know, working with oftentimes producers and I'm sharing with them the different product packages we have, you know, we build like, we, we just released a controller, a load sync controller, something that allows your, your Bitcoin mine to then deal with, you know, gas production being variable, um, being, being a little bit volatile. And so, you know, your gas can ramp down, you can have computers ramp down and ramp back up, um, fans ramp down and ramp back up based on temperature and things. And so, you know, right now it's, it's a really exciting time, right? We're just, we're building as fast as we can and, um, trying to get, trying to get more oil and gas producers involved. And, and again, speaking of decentralization, I mean, I, I personally know of God, I mean, megawatts and megawatts of, of mining that's going on. That is, you know, a two hour drive from the nearest light bulb, right? Like they're in the middle of effing nowhere, uh, not attached to a grid. And so even an attack on the grid wouldn't affect these Bitcoin mines. Um, and they can't get cut off from the grid, right? They're producing their own energy. And so there's a resiliency factor there that I think is really great for Bitcoin in the network. And, and honestly, like the amount of oil and gas producers that then become orange pilled because they're participating in this thing, even if they don't really understand Bitcoin, they don't care to them. It's a, it's a way to sell their gas and get dollars. They, they start paying attention to it, you know, from that moment on and they can't help, but you know, see it's see the advantages over the dollar. So ultimately, that's what that's what I do all day. Is I you know constantly work with producers and um, build out projects that are gonna gonna be deployed behind the meter and get you know probably the greenest of the green people out there involved in mining Bitcoin. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of how the mining industry has essentially sunk into the infrastructure of society, you know, to the point where now we're talking about it, you know, mining with flares off grid, you know, like, I just think that's super cool. Um, hey, what pools are you getting those guys signed up with that are doing, you know, I usually give them options. Brains is obviously one of my first go-tos, but, um, you know, it's, it's a matter of it's that that's their choice, right? Like I'm not going to set their pool up for them. That's, that's their option. So I give them options. Uh, but you're right. Like, I mean, that's the thing about Bitcoin mining is it's going to become so it's so insidious because it's such a true and loud signal in the energy world where, you know, anywhere where a kilowatt hour is undervalued, a Bitcoin miner sees that and their brain lights on fire, right? Like you see, if you were to go on the internet, you saw in some jurisdiction, you know, in Kansas, the average price for electricity was was a penny per kilowatt hour. Like, I'm booking a flight <laughs> the next day, right? Like, and I'm going to go try to make a deal um, because that's opportunity. And so it's so insidious that way. And it's, it's pure 
unadulterated signal. What I mean by that is like, it doesn't matter what regulations are, are around. doesn't matter what, you know, things are in certain con, you know, aspects of certain contracts that make economic power, maybe not as attractive for, for somebody in a manufacturing standpoint or whatever, but in, in the, you know, the net, the Bitcoin network, it will guarantee you this payout, right? Um, if you're able to feed it electricity. And so, I mean, this is like a, I mean, I think the term digital wildcatter is kind of appropriate. This is the time when people wake up and they go out and they, they seek economic stranded undervalued energy and power because there's opportunity there, right? Just like there was opportunity running out West and buying land and digging holes to find oil. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's kind of a gold rush in that way. And so the fun part about it is when, when it's going to be that insidious with enough time, you can't regulate it back because it'll be a part of everything, right? It won't, it'll be a, yeah. a vital part of the grid. It'll be That'll a vital part of many industries, maybe like, maybe like food industries, you know, grow greenhouse industries, like, and then you can't ban it because you'd cripple the entire economy. So like we're getting that would make it easier to regulate because if all these you know miners are integrated into the infrastructure, they're all going to be white market and known about. Well, if they're on the grid, but no, but but it's not easier to regulate because you got to remember, people are what you're regulating, and the more people you're regulating, the louder they're going to get, right? The more pushback you're going to get. Remember, they they regulate for votes, and so if you know. A president, if the president came out and, and just cripples, you know, five different industries in an economy, like he's not going to be very popular. Well, um, I don't think they'll cripple. They'll just say, "Hey, you need to enforce OFAC compliance because we don't want Iran and Korea and Hamas to be able to transact on Bitcoin." And so, are these miners willing to break the law in that situation? That's what it comes down to. Oh, if they want, yeah, if they do. OFAC, and again, that'll that'll cripple it. And all, they'll be very, un, they'll be very unpopular with all the people that were leveraging it. So, be better. No, hold on, hold on. Don't, 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 please don't speak over each other because I'm going to have to edit this later. That's going to be a nightmare. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, let me just let me just address the question there because I, I think I think uh, I made a tweet the other day and actually got some attention, which was that the end game of proof of work in the way the world you know works today is is. Two poles competing for uh, hashing power, right? That's the best case scenario. Is a Western bloc, you know, saying, "Yeah, you can't, you, 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 you got to be OFAC compliant because our enemies are on the other end doing, you know, being bad and such." And then the Eastern bloc is going to do say, "You're trying to censor us, and we're doing political speech, and you can't come here and tell us, you know, what foreign policy we're going to have." And so we're going to be mining Bitcoin so that we can defend our our political you know, action, right? And that's just good. That's the best case scenario. And that's the only way in which Bitcoin's proof of work will actually maintain censorship resistance is if China is mining, if Russia is mining, if Iran is mining, and if the US is mining, because we what we saw with China was, you know, we didn't, you know, the all all the software developers were in the in the West and all the miners were on the East. And that created a, you know, a, a crisis, a consensus crisis in Bitcoin that, you know, ended up, we, we ended up winning on the West, let's say. But that so I think that's where we're going, no matter what, eventually. But I think I think the Kristen's point stands that, you know, 
if 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 I buy a hundred acres in the middle of nowhere and don't tell anybody and you know start mining, you know let's start set up a, a farm of solar panels and and set up a mar- farm and you know point it up to the satellites with the, uh, SpaceX, right? Not spaces with with uh, fucking the satellites, right? Yes, this is SpaceX. Anyway, with the satellite internet, you know, over a VPN, like you're not gonna catch it, right? So um, I think a lot of that is probably going to happen. Um, yeah, but I think, I mean, I think the point is this too, though, right? Like, let me ask, would it have been easier for regulators to just outright ban Bitcoin? Would it, would it be easier in 2011 or today? Right? Obviously in 2011. How many people even cared if Bitcoin got regulated out of existence? I wouldn't have cared. I didn't even know about it. Um, I wouldn't have fought. I wouldn't have raised my voice. And so that's kind of what I was talking about in terms of the more people that participate, the more people that are going to be angered and take action, right? If I've invested millions of dollars to integrate mining into my greenhouse business, like I'm not just going to sit by and watch these legislators come in and, and fucking ruin me, right? I'm going to go stand up. I'm going to participate in the political process. I'm going to go fight, or at least I'm going to fund somebody to go fight on my behalf. And I'll even go to court, right? I mean, for that amount of money, you're not just going to take a seven-figure hit. And so that's where I mean in terms of being insidious is that, you know, and that's kind of the game theory. The more people that get behind it, right? And then there'll, there'll be plenty of politicians that see the advantage of it and see how many people want that advantage. And that will be their platform, right? They'll run to, to decrease regulations on, the, on this mining thing because that's what their, their potential voters want, right? Because they're seeking power. And so I think... I just I have a I have a belief that you know the resiliency of Bitcoin is extends far beyond the United States at this point. The US lost its chance to destroy this thing, I think probably like 2016-ish. Like it, it, we kind of passed a horizon where they couldn't they couldn't break this thing anymore. Um, and I think we're far past it now. They might try and people will just relocate, right? It'll, you'll just see you'll just see everybody exile, right? Um, from from the US if that's the case. And so I'm not too worried about that. I mean, it would suck. It would be bad. It'd be painful for people. And I, I wouldn't like it, but it wouldn't ruin the network. Uh, quick question, Kristen. Do you, uh, do you guys work outside of the U.S.? Right now? So we are, we're based in, uh, in oh, I'm sorry. I'm, Central, Central Europe. I'm sorry. That question was for Adam um, with, the, with the gas flare mining. Do you guys, do you guys uh, provide services outside of the U.S.? Because uh, well, uh-huh. we're, we're a Canadian company. Um, oh, yeah. So we have, you know, I'd say half of our, if not maybe a little bit more than half of our business is in Canada. Um, and so we've got plenty there. I mean, we've shipped stuff to, we've shipped black boxes and stuff all around. We haven't yet shipped a, an engine anywhere other than Canada, U.S. Um, but we're hopeful. You know, we've talked to a lot of people. Uh, it's just, you know, it's most of the inquiries don't, you know, 99.9% of the inquiries come from within the U S within North America. Right. Um, and so I've got some, but even the people that I got, I've got one customer who they're a, they're a, a Swiss company, but they're mining in North Dakota. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so like a lot of international people, um, investors have come to the United States to find an oil and gas play that they could then, uh, you know, take, take risk on. And I think that's just because of the, 
the attractive property laws and things of the United States, right? That if you're going to take risk mining Bitcoin in the oil field anywhere, especially with all this ESG, you know, oil and gas is, is going to kill the human race or something um, right. narrative, like especially with all that, other places in the world are way worse than the United States, right? Especially Europe. They've gotten so insane. Even though yeah. the U.S. has gotten bad, the states have a lot of say. And so there's a lot of states like Wyoming, Texas, that are – they're not instituting the same kind of nonsense regulations on emissions and you know hydrocarbons that, that many places – other places are. So I still think the United States is the most attractive place currently uh, to mine, certainly in the oil field. Um, Canada's doing its best to try to screw up the economics of mining. They're, they're, it's ridiculous. Like, you know, there's, they had it before where if, you know, you get penalized if you were flaring or venting and you think about it, it's like, okay, well you could come in with a, with a Bitcoin mine and mitigate that flare, mitigate tons of emissions, like take, you know, take capital risk, mitigate a ton of tons of emissions. And now in Canada, they're, they're taxing, um, if you, whether you run it through an engine or not, you're getting taxed on the gas. And so like they, they, they do tier you, but I, from what I understand, running it through an engine is worse. You get taxed more than running it through a certain kind of combustor, an external combustor, which is very non-scientific <laughs> and stupid, but such is, such is all the behavior of governments. And so, um, you know, it's well, Canada in it's particular right now is is a complete clown show. I think maybe yeah, maybe we need a a regime change over there, so to speak, like a political change over there. It's bad. It's real bad on the in the political sense. Like compared to the U.S., it's just it's like it's it has accelerated into that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. <laughs> so no, I think that, I think that's all. I think the trend in general is very clear and it's towards, you know, finding stranded energy, right? And there's a lot of examples of that. Um, we're we're returning, we're, we're coming in on an hour and a half and I want us to co go back to P2Pool actually because P2Pool was a really interesting project back in the day. It's kind of forgotten and I don't even know if P2Pool is working on Bitcoin at this point. It seems like they're doing Monero at this point. Uh, Aeon, could you tell us a little bit about P2Pool? What is it? What was its breakthrough and why do you think it didn't work in Bitcoin? Yeah, P2Pool was pretty much invented because mining with pooling became custodial. And so, like I was saying how Bitcoin, Satoshi didn't design Bitcoin with pooling in mind. It was not something he thought of. Unfortunately, he you know expected it to be a lot of solo mining through the you know regular Bitcoin client, which was built in originally. And so P2Pool came out and said, all right, well, let's create a decentralized network for, for pool mining. And so it was similar to Bitcoin where you run a node, a P2 pool node, you connect to other people running P2 pool nodes and you share in, in mining, you share the work you're doing, share hashes, you share um, payouts. But the problem is it added latency to it to share with all the people in the network. The bigger the network got, the more latency was in the pool. And that's, you know, added to the variance flaw where, you know, if you're mining with extra latency, you're less, you know, at a disadvantage of getting a block than someone who's solo mining or someone who has a huge farm in a, in a single location. And so it was that along with uh, Coinbase outputs, because even with ocean mining, they'll run into the problem of, you know, if they have a thousand people mining on their pool, they have to have a thousand outputs in the Coinbase. 
the more outputs you have in the Coinbase, the more room that takes up in fees of actual block space for the actual fees. So the only uh, the only project that's working on decentralizing mining right now is something called Braid Pool, which um, Bob McElrath has been working on for a few years and has a lot of uh, work done on GitHub around it. You can just search Braid Pool on Twitter or GitHub and you'll find it. But it hasn't gotten a lot of attention or funding, which I feel like, you know, if Jack Dorsey was serious about decentralizing mining, he should have gave, you know, that money to Brainpool instead of Ocean, which is just kind of a, you know, a facade of decentralized mining. So is Brave, you say Brainpool, B-R-A-V-E? A braid, like a hair braid. Braid. Could you, could you? link that in the in the comments on the on the thread um that's that's super interesting and um kristen had you heard about p2 pool and i guess i'm wondering is does p2 pool work with uh stratum v2 is that something that can maybe fix some of this latency and and, and inefficiency in p2 pool sorry never heard about this one uh i want to uh, I I just remembered. Uh, so our co-founder Pavel Pavel Moravets, he was he he was the guy running our pool for the past like I don't know ten years. Um, like for the guy, he's also a co-author of Stratum V2. He was on Stefan Livera, uh, I think uh, debating the guy from CK Pool or somebody like that that claimed to be some decentralized pools, uh, decentralized pool. We're kind of skeptics about the whole decentralized pool so i I highly recommend i'm not that uh super nerdy in that that realm and um i would definitely uh, recommend just just google uh stefan livera decentralized pools um we're we're on the side that we say this is unnecessary you will be creating a lot of problems like you just mentioned with the coinbase etc uh coinbase transaction to to a lot of miners uh, we don't have to necessarily decentralize on every single level, you know. Um, mining works, uh, and I don't think the pools are uh, are an issue that needs. Okay, I'll I'll look into that podcast for sure. That sounds really interesting. Um, Aeon, do you know if uh, Peter Pool integrates Stratum V two? I don't know if anyone's working on Peter Pool anymore. I feel like it's, their GitHub hasn't had any activity for years. And yeah, they Monero people adopted it and forked it and are using it, but I don't think anyone's. I don't think it would. I think it's yeah. a completely different protocol. I don't know if it could be mixed, but I mean, they already were doing kind of what Strata V2 is doing, where each miner in the pool could submit their own template. They were mining their own template, and the payout was just coordinated through the P2 pool protocol. Right. Yeah, I think Kristen was saying that earlier that another, there's a bunch of other things on Strategy 2 that, that give efficiency gains. Like, it's not just publishing a public, you know, like a transparent JSON. It's actually moving, you know, encrypted uh, binary and so on, such that it's got more privacy. It's lower, you know, less data being transmitted, you know, a bunch of efficiency gains. So, yeah, maybe maybe there's something there. Um also, really cool. one more uh, upgrade is like solving the empty blocks. Because really think about free halvings away and mining an empty block, it will hurt. Like we want to have some solution with current setup, with like the current stratum, it just 
unfixable now. So we definitely want to solve empty blocks when you're a miner or a pool operator, you know, two two halvings away. So that that's another big big incentive to 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 have Stratum B too. Christian, what do you yeah, think? Yeah. The, what do you think is the top incentive? Like, what do you think is the biggest value add from for Stratum B two? Depends on which side. For pools, it would be the the data load uh, reduction because really, like now we're talking about the current stratum is JSON plain text. So it's like a just moving to binary is like seventy percent uh, data reduction. Like there's no unlimited internet. Like we we pay a lot right. of internet for the so for pools, it's definitely the the data load reduction. For miners, it's actually standardized. Uh, how to send telemetry data, for example. So, like uh, the the big farms and the cool management systems in the future, you want really like w- very well standardized channels, you know, to send all the data. Um, but it's it's it's, it's a pretty long um, long future. Um, and for Bitcoin in general, definitely the empty blocks. Like it's not an issue now, but really imagine like three halvings away. You re- I and then I know like they're super tiny amount of the empty blocks, but we mined on brains for three empty blocks this week. Like imagine three halvings away. That would hurt. That would hurt. Yeah. And it could really congest the mempool, right? If we've got, a, if there's a ton of, of Bitcoin activity, it could really congest things, create, you know, jack fees up um, and just ultimately not getting transactions processed that, that need to be, that should be. Isn't mining uh, empty blocks a choice by the, the miner. So, uh, uh, empty blocks are really, really made because because uh, they want the subsidy over the fees. Yeah. No, no, no. It just it just happens when we find the next block super quickly. Like we find it that that fast that there's just no um, like we couldn't prepare the new block. Uh, so, so the miners start hashing on an empty block first, and then yeah, you're they, not, not going to sacrifice the potential block found. Take the time to you know build the block, right? So it's just exactly to, it's a, it's a lack of efficient infrastructure. You'd have to wait to build a new block until you have a template ready. I mean, I feel like when the subsidy is pretty much gone, who's really going to risk that? You know. Yeah, that seems like it won't be economically efficient after a certain point. Yeah, that's fair, right? I've, and like you said, in, in three halvings, I think it's what twenty thirty two or twenty thirty six, right? When we get we get below a uh, Bitcoin per block, right? Um, that's probably when that that horizon approaches. Because I think you know, I think it's fair that fair to assume that when we get below one. Bitcoin per block subsidy uh, fees will start to be the name of the game. Um, they're already obviously important, but I don't know if they're vital right now, right? Like people were obviously mining during the doldrums of, of 2022 when there was zero, <laughs> zero inscription activity um, and price was really low and miners were surviving. I mean, the thing that always makes me chuckle is people seem to have this assumption that, you know, hash rate can't, decrease right and i think ultimately it will right in the, in, the, in the long term hash rate will have a perfect relationship um with with hash price on one side and on the other side 
you'll have a perfect relationship with uh, bringing to market stranded energy, right? And so anytime there's waste energy, um, you know, get it to a miner because it just makes sense to. And then on the, on the kind of the mega side of it, like, you know, they will, they will teeter their hash rate based upon the profitability of it. Um, and I think firmware will allow for a lot of those things, but that flexibility is, is, is key, right? The, like this having coming up, if, if hash rate goes down, which I don't expect a huge dip in hash rate. I don't even know if there will be one, especially with where prices, but like, I, I don't see that as a, a lack of security on the network by any means. I mean, I see security almost as it's relatively, it's, a, it's almost binary where you get to a point where it's like, okay, this is secure. Like this is not worth or not, not possible for a single entity to attack. Um, when it decreases, the network is still plenty secure, right? The, the, the attractiveness of a 51% attack, it's still just as unattractive, right? <laughs> like that's typically how it goes. And so, Yeah, the, counterba- the counterbalancing mechanisms are so strong with with mining, so well designed. I, I I have almost eternal faith in that in that kind of game. The empty blocks, you're right though, something I never thought about. That could that could cause real big issues in yeah three four havings. Well, it would be it would cause issues if there weren't fees, but you know if the fees are higher than the than the reward, then I don't see what's the big issue. Well, wouldn't that be, that would be bigger, right? Because then you're losing out. Yeah, but it's the miner's choice to mine that empty block instead of just waiting to have a template ready. So economically, they're just going to like wait a couple minutes to get a template ready. Okay, so yeah, economically, you're you're right. They're like, we're not, yeah, this is a point when we're not going to take the reward. I mean, maybe, right? But if you're a a real small percentage and you only find a block once every month, right? (laughs) So it's like, you know, and it just happens to be that there was a bang, bang situation, block you know, block to block. And so, I don't know. I mean, I guess. How long can it take to, to put together a block template anyway? I mean, isn't it just like grab transactions? Seconds. Seconds? Second? I don't know. Don't quote me on the number. Is it 2.5 second? Like to, you have to build it and the distribute. Like, uh, and it happens that you mm. find a block in 0.001 second. It really happens. And then you have an empty block. But really think about one halving, two halvings away. Not like four or six exactly. Then you have to start building blocks when there's no subsidy. There only feels okay. But really think about the the middle chapter where uh, you would really want to mine even empty block if you're a small pro. We would not miss on a block. Like we would not not wait for the for the fees. We would, right. we just want the block right because like you you would decimate our our pool luck in that case. Um, right. So, so we definitely, hey, if, if there is a way to fix it and there is a way to fix it with Stratum B2, like why, would, why wouldn't we want to fix it, right? So you just it doesn't seem like that difficult of a problem, right? Like, you know, the, as long as there's transactions on, in the mempool, you know, you could just have some templates already built, ready to just slap a nouns on it, right? Like, slap, <laughs> right? Like, no, or do you have to like... UTXO set. Otherwise, you might create an invalid block. Right. So you have to you have to have the transactions I don't know. You have to know the current state of the UTXO to... set in order to create a valid template. 
Right. Right. So yeah, you have to do you have to process a bunch of transactions. So you at least there. have to wait for that the uh preceding block to have been found before you can render that template. And that's where the issue comes, right? Where it's just where there's like that bang bang back to back really quick, where that's where it's really tough to already have a template, you know, made in the amount of time um you you know allotted, right? Which is like Christian said, right. you know, a thousandth of a second or something, right? Right. So the previous block mines a bunch of transactions that update the accounting of the network. And so you have to take those into account in the next transactions you put in, into that block. And you might not have enough time to like you, you have to process that the, those those balance changes in order to get a, a valid block in. Yeah. So that that takes 2.5 seconds and that might be enough such that somebody just mines it and, and gets it in empty, right? Well, that's what Christian was alluding to. He's like, you know, the amount of times that, a, you know, one block is found and another block is found within 2.5 seconds. And in other words, you know, forcing the miner effectively to, to mine an empty block or at least highly incentivizing them. Um, like we got to try to solve that before that becomes much more impactful. Today, it's kind of impactful. It definitely still causes... You know, it's not a great thing, um, and it's not great it for like miners it? either, right? But is it really that often that that happens? Well, I mean, Christian, didn't you just say you guys found like three in the last week? Three in the past five days, yeah. Oh god, but yeah, I mean, like, that's, okay, that's... I don't know if it's zero point four. It's something like non-negligible. It's not zero point zero zero one, but still, like, if if even if it happens like once every six months. Like you don't want to miss on the I don't know we just had a block with five free Bitcoin uh, just in fees like that that that's and if we believe like the network is going to be used more and there's going to be more fees like you don't want to be missing on the fees it's as simple as that. That's a lot of money for sure. Like we're talking about like two hundred and fifty grand on the table, right? You like know, that could you make or, that could make or break your year as a miner if you're a small miner, right? Say maybe you're maybe you're only mining twenty blocks a year, right, or a couple of months. Um, that could that could have a massive impact. So yeah, Seriously, okay. So fair point. Yeah. So so let let's say the mining fees. Okay, let's say three two halvings from now, right? The fees are are much less. Let's say the the transaction fees are seventy percent of 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 your income, and 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 the reward is twenty five percent, right? Because I'm guessing it's is the block reward more profitable today than the average fees you get uh, as a miner. Yeah, so it's there's not typically six Bitcoin of of fees in each block. Like right now, I think what's on the brains dashboard. I think it's like an average of like a, a third of a Bitcoin each block. Is that about right? Okay, like thirty million sats or forty million sats. I wanted to say maybe it's higher now because of inscriptions and stuff um, and recent right. activity. But I want to say one hundred forty-four. Yeah, one hundred forty-four blocks average is one point one BTC. Oh fees. damn. It's over. It's over a coin right now. Oh yeah, um, that's pretty big. But I mean, still, that, that means that it's only fifteen percent, right? Yeah. So at some point, that would flip, and the moment that that flips, the economic calculus changes, right? So maybe you're like, okay, how much, how much Bitcoin per sec per per millisecond am I leaving on the table if I don't compile the block, right? It'll that equation will just that economic calculus will just change at that point. I mean, it being 20% today is actually pretty, that's pretty big. Like, I think that's, that's substantial. Um, and, and almost noteworthy, uh, that, that we're at that, that high of a, 
of an average fee, but we are in like for the last 144 blocks, we've been in a pretty highly sustained fee environment, which I think if, if that's the norm, you know, again, I think you know Bitcoin's going to change a little bit how people think and operate um, uh, with with paying over digital channels, and they'll start to really consider, you know, how cheap it is to, you know, I was talking to my friend the other day. He was somebody that was really OG in Bitcoin. He, he he's the one that that taught me about it, and he had like logged in some to some old wallets. And while he's super old in Bitcoin, he's not technical at all. And he was asking me for like help, you know, making sure he didn't make a mistake because he knew he had like a couple coins in this old, um, I couldn't remember what, what, what it is. It's, it's, it's one wallet of that probably from it was core. Like, <laughs> well, no, it wasn't even like a core wallet. It was like, it, it was one of the, the non-custodial ones where he, had, he like actually go, went to a website and logged in. Right. But it's like an encrypt. It was one. Of, I can't remember what it's called now. Oh, oh no. Blockchain.info. Um, yeah, it was blockchain.info. Exactly. It was a blockchain.info wallet. Um, and so he was going from that. And in this, this fee environment, he like paid like 100 sat per byte or something. It was like $6. Right. <laughs> because, and this is the other thing. It was, like, it was like a whole coin that he was sending or something. And the, um, because it was all just one UTXO, I was kind of surprised at how low the fee was dollar wise. But I was like, dude, why didn't you pay like, a thousand sat per byte. Like, who cares if you pay forty dollars to move forty thousand dollars? <laughs> like, like, go pay to be in the next block because it's still really cheap when you're moving nominal sums of money that are greater than you know five thousand bucks. Um, that being said, don't right. be an idiot and pay eighty Bitcoin in fee like those those one people did, even though they got it paid back to them for some unknown reason. Um, but like. Anytime that, that's the way I look at Bitcoin, especially like layer one, whenever I'm transferring Bitcoin, I make sure to transfer as you know, the, the most that makes sense, the most that is pragmatic. And I just take into, you know, I just think about on a dollar basis, how much am I willing to spend? Right. Or, or am I patient or am I in a rush? Um, he wanted to get him out of there. So I was like, dude, just pay, pay a high fee. Like 50 bucks is nothing. Um, like you can't move 40 grand anywhere in the world for, <laughs> for less than that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think uh, as people get more experience with Bitcoin, they they start to get a little bit savvier in their calculation, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of people that um, they'll just pay like the, like five sats or less per transaction, no matter what, and just wait it. And they and they organize their their life and payments such that they can afford to wait that, you know. And that's fine. I do that a lot. I do that often. Uh, sometimes I just, you know, sometimes I pay the fee cause I got to deal with it, but I try to avoid those situations, you know? So I think as people understand the market, they get more sort of savvy and, and they, they start to navigate a, the market as a market, right? Cause you know, that, that there's that expectation almost that it, ju- it should just move free for now instantly. And I think those times are changing unless you're on lightning. And so if you're set up for lightning, then you're, you're going to be good, but lightning comes with other trade-offs and other considerations you have to take into account right so i mean different wallets and so on so um but uh yeah i think people as people get experienced they start to they start to figure out how to navigate that and can i pose, uh, can I pose one question here so so one thing that i yeah. thought of and i, I want to know if anybody else ha- does this like in their in their transacting but like especially in this kind of a, a higher fee environment if i'm the receiver of a transaction obviously i i want 
I want it to be next block, right? Um, if you're the recipient, you always want it to be next block. And something I do is I tell people to like gross up the fees, right? So it's like, if you, if you're sending me a million sats, if the fees are 20,000 sats, well then really send me 980,000 sats, but pay that next block fee. So that, you know, your total that you're sending is a million sats. I'm really only getting 980. Um, does anybody else like operate on that kind of mentality? Because I think it's almost like a, it'd be really cool if the recipient had the ability to bump the fee, right? To like, to say, Hey, I want this transaction faster. Right. So take, you know, take a percentage of it effectively, or even pay out of their own wallet in order to, you know, and they can do that with child pays for parent right now, but to have a more streamlined kind of method of allowing the receiver to make that decision. Cause typically re recipients are, you know, much more, uh, comfortable paying high fees uh, than, than the sender, obviously. Right. So that dynamic I think is going to come into play a lot more. Yeah, that's on, cool. I mean, I don't see system. why, I don't see why you, you need to be the owner of a transaction in order to bump its fee. Like why couldn't you just, you know, like I like that transaction. I'm going to, you know, cash flow that transaction. Right. Like, well, no, but the, the real benefit would be like, so say somebody's sending me a million sats, but I, and I don't have any Bitcoin, right? I have 0.000 Bitcoin. Um, like, but I want that transaction to get to me faster. If I could go in and say, hey, instead of me receiving, you know, 980 and having 20,000 sats be the fee, I want to receive only 950, right? And have, and pay more of a fee from that. And get that now. So set, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. But it's almost like a double spend question. So it's, but just something my mind has gone to because then mm -hmm. you would definitely have a more robust fee environment because recipients are going to be much more inclined to be like, yeah, I don't mm -hmm. mind receiving 90 cents less or a dollar 50 less. Right. Um, so long as I get it right now. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things, one of the thoughts I've had uh, the last couple of weeks after this whole kind of conversation about mining and, and so on is that there's a lot of economic logistics questions that mining pools are actually solving set in a centralized fashion that are actually really interesting problems to solve in a decentralized fashion not not in like uh not necessarily like a p2p decentralized fashion even though p2p i remember was pretty cool back in the day but like from a like a smart contract cash flow you know human payments problems you know like like there's a lot of, a lot of economic logic there that in theory, we, we should have the tools to decentralize or at least, you know, trust to minimize, right? Um, and it would be cool if, if, the, if, the, if the, you know, quote-unquote smart contract logic of Bitcoin let us solve a lot of these things. And, and we probably have enough tools to, to solve them. It's just a matter of, like, you know, improving the development environment and people actually, like, trying to figure out how to crack those problems, right? Um, I, I mean, I like the idea of a, of a cent of the, of a receiver paying, you know, and I think a lot of the stuff that's happening on lightning now is, it's interesting. Sending lightning is pretty private and fairly efficient. Receiving lightning is actually still a pain in the ass, but that's, that's actually a problem that the lightning developers are actively trying to fix such that it's more private to receive and it's easier to set up a, a receiving endpoint for lightning through a lot of these APIs, right? Like Phoenix has an API now, I think. Blink as lightning, an API. Go ahead. Lightning is a piece of shit to deal with from any standpoint. Okay, I'll bring on the. I'm I'm a, I'm a bear on lightning. I think 
the only lightning that makes sense is custodial. And I look at it like people will have their wealth in, you know, majority in cold storage, self, self-maintained wallets or self-maintained, you know, UTXO sets. And then you, you would send some to a custodial lightning, you know, you'd send 500 bucks there an amount you're not afraid to get rug pulled on. And then you would use that for daily spending, but it'd be custodial. I mean, the idea of everybody running a lightning node and doing, I mean, it's just, have you guys not talked to a fucking boomer? Have you not <laughs> talked to a normal person in the last, you know, your entire life? My mom yeah. turned the damn Apple TV on. No, there's no way, there's no <laughs> way most people are going to be running lightning nodes. But I think, I think that the, the thing to understand is that there's a bunch of Latin Americans and Africans and people that, that are just, they're not going to be able to pay these on-chain fees. It's just not economically feasible, right? I think what, one tweet I saw the other day is like, you know, a $20, $20 is like, no, it was like $10 or, or it was like 20% of the average income in Africa, you know? Like these people are making like no, it's like a hundred bucks. The people are making four hundred bucks a month, you know, maybe right. Sometimes a hundred bucks a month, right? So these people, a lot of people in the world, just can't afford on-chain fees at this point, even today when they're relatively cheap, and that's going to change. And and so if if our answer is like here, you have have this garbage custodial wallet that can rug you, right? And it's basically a bank. That's not a good enough answer. I think Phoenix is a good example of non-custodial lighting but even phoenix has like these onboarding fees that are you know not great right like the moment that you create a wallet you have to get an on-chain transaction and i think they're also trying to solve that there's there's ways that they're potentially well, solving say, that like, but, you have to yeah. do an on-chain transaction in order to open a lightning channel anyway <laughs> right like so yeah so that that's 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 day, uh that's true today yeah, no, no, that that's true today. But a lot of the conversation around like covenants, right? And maybe Aeon can jump in here since he's literally waving the covenant flags, right? So a lot of the soft the, the conversation around the two soft forks, you know, APO, uh, CTV, they allow you to abstract away the UTXO. So it's kind of like these sort of you know agreements, multi-party agreements that let you share a UTXO such that now you can share the cost as well. And then you basically just create a bunch of UTXOs, I guess, and 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 cha- distribute their ownership around somehow. I don't know. Aeon, can you can you give us a bit of a download on on that? Where are you in terms of like covenants and like scaling lighting? I mean, you pretty much summed it up pretty good. The covenants just allow a, you know a predefined way that UTXOs can be spent, so you can allow it you know multiple people to use one UTXO. So the cost of opening a channel is shared amongst you know, however many people can fit in the in the transaction. Oh, so effectively, it could become free if you had enough people participating. The you know the the fee per person would be no, not free, but know, yeah, really a couple sacks, really small amount. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, this propagates the lightning and as well other L twos like Arc, but yeah, because even if you know you have a like Phoenix Wallet, which used to be great, and then fees went up. The only way around not opening a lightning channel is to do some kind of like virtual lightning channel, which I heard about somewhere. But again, that brings you back to custodial situation. So to keep keep it non-custodial, we need things like covenants to be able to do um, channel factories was a term that was used for it earlier, but 
It's pretty much just UTXO sharing. It's it's kind of funny, right? Because people will, you know, everybody everybody jumps in excitement at the idea of a of a Bitcoin ETF. Will be the you know it'll even put potentially put all exchanges to shame in terms of how much value is going to be effectively custodied on behalf of whoever's operating the ETF, right? Um, they're supposed to go out to the market and buy Bitcoin as a, you know, as a, as a process of those who are buying their, their ETF. And so like people will celebrate that and stuff. And, and I think there's a place for custodial Bitcoin, right? Like I, I don't think it's with yield. Um, that's where I look at lightning. I'm like custodial lightning. You know, if I was, if I would just throw 500 or a thousand bucks in, in a lightning wallet, just for my, you know, effectively write the cup of coffee um, for little daily expenditures and things. Um, that doesn't give me, you know, that's that's not like a a, a crazy risk situation that I'm taking. Um, and I don't think I yeah. think that that's more pragmatic, and it's something I could potentially do on on the fly, right? Like where I could be like, oh shit, I have to go, you know, get stuff today. I'm willing to go spend a higher fee because I'm moving a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks mm-hmm. into a Lightning wallet. So to settle that that account, I'll pay that high fee once. And then now I've got a bunch of transactions I can throw out on Lightning, but it's all custodial, right? And maybe yeah. it without RBF. And so they're going to, maybe they'll accept my transaction and give me credit even before there's a confirmation, right? Because I can't, I can't go ahead and cancel that transaction, right? Kind of like what BitRefill does. BitRefill does, you know, zero confirmation uh, credit so long as you don't send it with RBF. Um, right. If you, if you probably, if you have an email sign up with them and such, so, so there's some reputation right. there and so on. Some rest of um, yeah, some, some mediation. Yeah. And I, and I, that's fine. You know, like, like businesses and customers have been building relationships throughout pretty much all of history. Right. So that's going to be fine. I also think people are already accustomed to the idea of like, uh, different wallets, literally different pockets of money for different timeframes and and, and purposes, right? Like people have literal wallets on their, on their, you know, in their pocket with like cash that's to solve immediate problems like that. And cash is a IOU, right? It's an IOU from the government. It's just that people are so used to it that they don't think of it as an IOU, but it's an IOU from the government. And then, and then they have their, their cards, right? And they, and they'll have different cards and they'll probably have, and they have long-term investments like, you know, real estate, if they do, Right. Where it's like you're not going to immediately sell your real estate, but if you do, it's going to be expensive, but it's going to be worth it because it's a lot of money. Right. So people are already people that are like even slightly economically educated already are thinking about money in the, in, in different time frames and, and pockets and, and, and trade offs. Right. So I don't think it's unreasonable to say, you know, coffee, you're, you're going to have a coffee wallet that's going to be centralized and uh, centralized lighting and it's going to be fast. It's probably not going to be lighting actually like in a decade or two, it's probably going to be like these e-cash tokens like Fedimint and such that are actually a lot cooler, but the lighting is probably going to become like a, a another layer in the background, like another infrastructure layer. But, um, but yeah, I think that's reasonable. But I, but I also don't, I, I'm also a big fan of self custody. Like I, I think, I think, we need to, in the meantime, we need to solve self-custody at scale and not make it such that it's only central. I mean, we, we look at what just happened to WhatsApp, to Wallet of Satoshi. They just basically like rage quit the United States because um, <laughs> 
they don't want to, you know, they don't want to deal with the nightmare of, of compliance in the United States, you know, because they're centralized. So that stuff is going to keep happening. I wish wallets were never called wallets. I wish they were called like signing devices, at least the hardware wallet side, right? Because it gets so convoluted for normies. Um, not just for normies, for anybody trying to learn. There's such a semantical oh, it's a nightmare. fucking nightmare right there. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, people think that like, you know, a Trezor or something is is different than just generating, you know, a, a 24 word seed with some entropy. Um, it's the exact same thing, right? It's just a, it's just a device to sign. And so, yeah. Did you see that tweet by Elon Musk? Like, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, the, yeah. Did, did you see that tweet by Elon Musk? It's like, uh, not your keys, not your wallet, as they say. <laughs> not your wallet. He doesn't even know what the, what the hell the saying is. Yeah. Oh, and like hilarious. somebody that's never heard of it, like that's the most confusing fucking statement I know. you've ever read. Like, not your keys, not your wallet. What, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I, got, I mean, if it's not, yeah. I mean, not your keys, not your wallet, like, no shit. Um, but like, yeah, it's. I just wish they would call them signing devices rather than hardware wallets. Uh, that would have been, I think that would have just <laughs> cleared up yeah. a lot of the, the nightmare, but, yeah, but I don't know. That's, it's just going to get weird. Um, like it's going to get really convoluted. I, and I think that there's only going to be more and more and more custodial services and things out there. Right. Cause there's, I just, I mean, you can smell it in the air, right. The amount of greed that's mm-hmm. out there. The, oh, yeah. What is it? I, I saw a post that I think it was Dylan LeClaire posted out something of, Whoever is trying to is in the midst of starting a another Bitcoin yield platform. The dude that created Worldcoin, uh, um, Sam, is his name Sam? Oh yeah, Sam yeah. Altman. Yeah, yeah, Sam Altman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, apparently he's like, yeah, they're looking at doing a, you know, a, a Bitcoin yield five percent yield denominated. Oh yeah, they're, they're making another, you know, BlockFi two point um, oh, it's great. That means they don't that fucking fail again. <laughs> <laughs> it will. They'll get reckless and they'll, you know, ridiculously rehypothecate and they'll get rugged and they'll do some shady shit. And, you know, it's just, yeah. it's yeah. just so you can always count on DGENs being DGENs. You know, Listen, it's like, this is the good news. This is actually good news. It means the scammers are going to get wrecked. It's just a matter of time. And then, We're and then the best thing is that Sal, Sam Altman is running OpenAI, right? And and so OpenAI, you know, it's pretty spooky, right? Like, you know, they have they have a pretty decent position in, uh, with with Microsoft, and like, you know, so like if 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 he just destroys OpenAI through a shitcoin scam, um, that would be pretty funny. I think that would probably be a good thing. Maybe I don't know, maybe not. But um, yeah, this scam be the same. Same stories over and over again, right? History just will come. In Bitcoin, history rhymes a lot faster than history rhymes in in the rest of history. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it, it, it's like, it doesn't rhyme. It raps, you know? Yeah. Well, like in Bitcoin, it's like, you know, it rhymes every four years. In you know, with like governments and society, it's like every 150 years, there's a rhyme. Um, it's straight up hip hop. In Bitcoin, it's, it's awesome. Fire. Um. That's awesome. Okay, I we're we're running into two hours and a half. I think it's been an awesome conversation. Everybody, please uh, quote retweet this this uh, this spaces if you enjoy it, and, and uh, just you know share whatever thoughts you had there, or if you liked it, just just give us a little boost. That I think people will enjoy this conversation. And uh, for all my fe- fellow Canadians, you know, if you're up there in Kanukistan, um, I understand. I understand what it's like. It's probably starting to get cold. It's probably cold 
AF already. And you know what warms your heart? Buying Bitcoin. That's right. Um, there's a lot of ways you could buy Bitcoin, but one of the best ways to buy Bitcoin is with Beaver Bitcoin. Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. You can buy instantly, set up reoccurring purchases from your bank account, and Beaver Bitcoin is non-custodial, so they'll deliver your Bitcoin directly to your cold storage, uh, wherever it is that you control it. Uh, it is built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners, and it's easy enough that you can recommend it to your family and friends. Which is great because, let's face it, uh, our family and friends are either normies or boomers, and they, they're not going to understand any of this conversation. So just send them to BeerBitcoin.com, and they can sign up today there and uh, start stacking sats uh, the easy way. So, um, And that'll probably warm your, your hearts up there in, in, in Kanukistan. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I think that was uh, – man, that was a great conversation. Thank you, uh, Kristen. Adam and Aeon for coming on. I think we hit a lot of really, really awesome and very interesting topics. This should be pretty educational for a lot of people on the mining world. I wanted to make a quick correction. We we talked about about um, was it Marathon's hashing power being twenty exahashes out of five hundred, and that that's actually like five percent of the hashing power, not one. Uh, which is actually more sensible compared to what we were talking about earlier. It's still not like game breaking, but you know, it's 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 five percent. It's not one percent. Just wanted to make that correction. I still I still think that our point stands that you know, like it's pretty hard to to actually dominate the Bitcoin mining power. So um, you know, anyway, thanks everybody for joining. Uh, any final thoughts before we uh, call it a call it a day? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, just. Yeah, thanks for taking the brains pool and thanks to upstream data. Keep keep shipping out those black boxes, man. We we need the black market hash. Exactly. Get that that pleb hash is, and that I'll I'll do that too. I'll give a big shout out to anybody that's working on, um, you know, this is something I've been talking about for God for years now. Was taking a you know a single S nineteen board or a single M M thirty M fifty board and running it on 120 or 110 volt, you know, standard wall power. And for anybody working on that, like, keep, you know, don't, don't lose your motivation. Keep building. Um, if you want to, if you, if you need a cheerleader, give me a call. I'll, I'll amp you up because I think that's some of the coolest, coolest shit going on in the spaces. You know, that, that just opens the door even greater, right. To be able to just drop a, a miner anywhere that you've got even just a little bit of power and it's still 25, 28 watt per terahash efficient, still getting you like a nominal, you know, 35 terahash or something. Um, that's a really, that's really exciting stuff. So anybody working on that, shoot me a note. I'm happy to support you. I'll be a customer of your products and stuff. So um, props to all those people. Awesome. All right. And um, anybody else want to say any final thoughts before I close it up? Yeah, I just want to wrap it up and say thank you to all the guests and thank you, Juan, for um, hosting this space. I mean, this in terms of mining, it's pretty close to my heart. I bought my first miner off of Adam, and I run uh, One Brains as my mining pool. So, I mean, <laughs> you guys are, are sponsoring this uh, this pleb miner it. right here. So, yes, uh, thank you so much for all the guests. Thank you for everybody for tuning in. And this has been another wonderful episode of the Juan Galt Show. Be sure to tune in next Friday for another episode. And until then, keep on hashing, my friends. Bye-bye.